Happy New Year. This is the Chris Lockwood Podcast, and I am your host, Chris Lockwood. And I've got to say, I am extremely happy to be back in this seat, talking into this mic, talking to you. And I had to put the podcast aside because life got really hectic and busy, all in good ways, not bad ways. Nothing terrible was going on in my life. Praise God. But like, I just had to set it aside, and I hated it because I love the podcast. I love sitting down and connecting with people. This, of all the things I've been doing, has been the most life-giving for me. Listening to these people, hearing their struggles, hearing their celebrations and their joys and life lessons. and So this has been something that's been very personal to me uh, and, and, and very uh, helpful to me. And I hope it's, it's helpful to you as well. So all that to say, I'm very, very excited to be back doing this thing right here. And I'm going to make more of an effort. I'm going to try and do things a little bit differently. Uh, I want to do more of it. I want to be on the podcast daily if I can actually pull that off. And I, maybe I just need to make a priority. You know, maybe that's, that is life. You know, you go, hey, I'm going to set this goal and you either do it or you don't. And, um, and the goal is to set goals and actually accomplish them. So I'm not going to make any promises that I'm going to be doing this daily, but I'm going to do it on a more regular basis. Uh, and and hopefully a lot more. But I'd like to be able to just do 5 to 10 minute, 15 minute daily uh, podcast, just offering some hope, offering some help, lessons I'm learning, uh, maybe junk that I'm dealing with that I'm I'm having to you know develop character through or or struggle through that maybe could be helpful to those who are out there maybe are dealing with the same things or have the same insecurities. And uh, yeah, I just want to I just want to add hope to the conversation that's going on in America right now. There's not a lot of hope right now. There's a lot of tearing down and spitting in each other's face. And I want this place, this podcast, to be a place where it's sort of like a refuge. It's a covering from all of that. And it's something that just says, hey, you're loved. Uh, you you have great potential in your life. Uh, let's do this together. Let's do something great in our lives. Hopefully I can inspire you as you inspire me. I just I want it to be a very loving conversation because I'm tired of the lack of love in the world right now. It's a pretty crazy place right now, and I just don't want to be a part of that conversation. The narrative that I want to bring is something that actually helps people, and um, yeah, I think we'll all be better for it in the end. So that being said, America helps me transition to before... Um, I stopped the podcast. I did one last interview, and I think it was in October that we sat down and recorded this. I run on a daily basis. I'm a distance runner, so I'm out running in my neighborhood and around on the streets every single day for the most part. And I noticed a gentleman. His name is Jim Willis, and he walks in the neighborhood. He, he's an older gentleman in his 70s, walks six to eight miles a day, and he's out early in the morning when I am, and he's always stopping and talking to me, very genuine, very polite, and if he's not talking to me, he's talking to somebody else in random places all over the neighborhood. He's just one of those guys that doesn't meet a stranger, and he wants to know all about you. And um, and it just intrigued. There was something in me. Call it the Lord, uh, intuition. I just I, the more that I saw him, the more that I was you know able to say hello to him. A lot of times our conversations are, "Good morning, you doing well?" Yeah. Have a great day. You know, it, it's very short. And then other times we've we've chit-chatted. And there was just something saying, you need to sit down with this guy. I don't think that our elders 
get the credit and the respect that they deserve a lot of times. And just seeing how genuine and polite he was, I almost needed to sit down with him and talk to him. And uh, because I'm talking to a lot of people who are my age or maybe a little older, maybe a little younger, but to he- to hear a guy who has lived life, he's a you know talking about America. He is a Vietnam veteran. He's very educated, a very smart guy. He's a Christian. He's got a marriage, got you know a bunch of kids, a big family, and they're just I don't know. I don't know. I I, I have I have no like amazing opening monologue to give you except that Jim is a very sweet, godly, polite, genuine, caring gentleman and I just wanted to talk to him. And so I hope that, you know, maybe there's something we can all learn from this. Maybe there's perspective that we in our young lives for most of us who are just getting started or still trying to figure it out or are kind of thriving and in the middle of it all, you know, maybe there's something we can learn from this. Um but if anything, I just want you to hear from a guy who has a heart of gold, who has the character of gold, and he's just, he's very sweet, and, and I, I loved it, and I love sitting down with him. And so, uh, so yeah, this is my friend Jim Willis, and I hope you enjoy this. I was a little, I was a little concerned that your wife... <laughs> Would have been concerned about me coming to your house uh, because uh, we only know each other from me running and you walking and seeing each other in the neighborhood. So uh, tell me well, why the walking, like how long has that been going on? Well, I, uh, I've been walking in earnest for about the last uh, four or five years. Okay. And uh, it came about as a result of health issues. I mean, sometimes it gets our attention as we move. I'm 75 years young. Yep. Uh, I uh, probably, well, maybe I began in earnest because I was, I guess it's been 10 years now that I think about it. Uh, I had a heart attack. Oh, wow. And uh, my wife uh, was the one who resuscitated me. I oh, was okay. one of those who saw the little white light, the things were really peaceful, life was just moving right on through its tunnels of life and uh, it was pleasant. And then there's this woman on my chest <laughs> telling me to cough, telling me, you better not die on me, you know, and I'm thinking, who is this crazy person? And finally my brain starts to work again and I realize what's going on. I had thrown up all over my side. Anyway, I was a mess, but she hadn't gotten a hold of of course, 911, and my son at that time was a reserve officer in the Memphis Police Department. We were in Memphis, and he had gotten there. He was in a squad car. He got there before anybody else, and then the ambulance shows up. Anyway, long story short, after going through rehab uh, and saying, you know, you need to really uh, get yourself in a little better shape, I, I was a little, not fat, but yeah. I was a little, little more roped than yeah. I should be. So, anyway, I, I started. Uh, walking and uh, after going through rehab and uh, uh, I did that for a few years uh, as I had a couple more heart attacks ended up having open heart surgery Goodness. Uh, having some bypasses I got a defibrillator and then all these kind of things and uh, so uh, but God has blessed me and yeah. I, I want to before we get too far I want, I want to make a comment on two things first of all I sincerely appreciate what you're doing. That's bold, that's noble, that's uh, uh, 
uh, that's brave what you're doing. Uh, number two, I want to let you know that uh, my mother uh, was institutionalized from the time I was two years old until after my father's death really? because of mental illness. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've been a part of a family that's you know, lived with experienced uh, that, experience yeah. that and I understand it. I was raised by grandparents and I was blessed and by being raised by grandparents because they were marvelous Christian people. But anyway, Interesting. The, yeah, that, that's just a little quick aside. But back to the health thing. I, so walking came about as a result of uh, needing to get healthier. Uh, and then some years ago, to really emphasize it, one of my granddaughters uh, was visiting and she pats Grandpa on the little tummy and she says, when are you due? I said, young lady, show more respect to your grandfather. And I, what's wrong with you? But anyway, I kind of chuckled about it. And awesome. I said something to my local doctor about her comment. And he looked at me and he said, your granddaughter is correct. You need to get rid of that for a heart patient. That is not good. Yeah. I said, wow. So I said, there's a health advantage thing here in the hospital. This was in Pensacola. At West Florida Hospital, I said they, they got this thing. Do you recommend it? And I said I understand it's a kind of a weight management center. And she, he said absolutely. I think I'll do. Fairly expensive, but I went through it for about five months. They really taught me how to manage my weight, how to manage my health. And they put me on a diet. Right. They just taught me these things. It's worked. Yeah. And I've been doing that. That's what I've been doing for about the last five years now. I guess. Right. Now, That's good. And that was, that was very healthy. So Health Advantage in Pensacola is a small group that's a physician-managed, health management kind of program. And you're doing, like you said the other day, six to eight miles well, every, yeah. every day. In fact, today, I, I do my Fitbit today. Here's my current mileage. Uh, I've walked 18,000 paces, there's 7.92 miles. <laughs> You've got, you, is it a Fitbit? Is that it's what you a Fitbit. I, I keep it on <laughs> my awesome. person. Uh, uh, it's one of those things I just live with. And uh, then each night, I've got a little dongle on that computer over there. I sit beside it and it records it. And I get the report and yeah. I can show you the reports I've been keeping for the last several years. And I share that with my physician. I, I have a physician that tells me that, you know, you're, you're beating the odds. Right. Uh, my VA doctor about seven years ago, suggested that probably I'd, I'd last about five. Wow. Well, I beat that. So yeah. anyway, I'm hanging. Yeah. <laughs> Every day is a, a blessing. And uh, I mean, you're trucking along. Like when I see you walking, just so everybody knows, this isn't a guy who's like on his hands and knees trying to make it. I mean, like you're, you're pushing through. Yeah. I, I enjoy, I mean, I enjoy walking. It's, it's not necessarily fun. Uh, like yesterday, uh, Sundays is always kind of a tough day because we go to church early right. and uh, so I ended up walking and I knew it was going to get stormy or I didn't know but they had predicted it would get stormy yesterday afternoon so we got home around noon I thought I better go ahead and walk so I walked in the heat of the day which I love the heat by the way I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid of the heat uh, but my feet got hot I mean it was hot on yeah. my, my feet were really getting hot and I think it got uh, over 100 yesterday. Yeah, I, I need to get off on. So I walked on a lot of people's grass. They probably didn't appreciate it. <laughs> we yeah. need sidewalks yeah. here. We need. But anyway, I, uh, I made it. I got my 
I try to do a minimum of 10,000 paces. That's minimum. good. Yeah. Right? As for that for me, that's about 4.4 miles. And so do you, um, so like if you do your 6 to 8 in the morning, I guess you keep up with it through the rest of the day as well too. Yeah, that? yeah. I just keep, then by the end of the day, I'll have, like last week, I averaged over 9 miles a day. Yeah. And that's great. Well, it keeps me kicking. Yeah. You know, no one thinks about that. I think that everybody thinks you've got to go out and do some crazy workout thing and pay for some obnoxious no. fee at a gym, and it's really not just being active in your normal yeah, day-to-day life. Yeah. You know, uh, I heard a little thing recently, a uh, lady talking about lifestyles, and she said of all the creatures that quit performing and having fun and playing as they grow older, it's the humans. Animals don't. Yeah. They play right up until the day they die. Yeah. Much, you know, what's wrong with us? Yeah. Don't we get it? Don't we get it? Yeah. We got to stay active, and so uh, I stay active. Tell me, um, like when you went through the the program for your health, mm-hmm. I would imagine they're not they're not training you to be an Olympian. They're no. training like just to do like the get the basic core stuff right. Well, so they what, teach you about how to eat. They teach you about how to count your right. calories, how to understand. All the various parts of the diet yeah. are the carbs, uh, you know, and, and then you begin to understand right. uh, what healthy eating is. Yeah. I mean, they don't say you got to eat this, got to eat this, got to eat this. Yeah. They give you suggestions, right. and you go through lots of classes, and you have good instructors. Uh, they they give you lots of good information. You chart everything. Mm-hmm. You learn to chart. Well, as a, I, I love statistics. Yeah. And uh, so that was easy for me. Uh, counting and keeping records. I'm a firm believer in looking at variability and understanding it. Uh, you know, people that think you can always stay on a straight line, they don't understand. Life, apparently. You know, life is not a straight line. You know, I like to paint the picture that I'm walking a straight line. But <laughs> we all have our ups and our downs. And, uh, anyway, uh, the... The program uh, is sound. It's, uh, uh, I don't know of any other centers of its type. I'm sure there are, but I just am familiar with that particular right. one, and it happens to be in Pensacola. It's called what again? Health Advantage. Health Advantage. I, I buy one product. May I get up? And yeah, go for it. I'll go be right it. back. <laughs> the only product I still buy from them, and I haven't... I have them send me this, and I love it. It's cappuccino. It's only that's 90, not too bad. 90 calories. Uh-uh. 15 grams of protein. Yeah. Come on. That's and good. That's really good. Yeah. It's so, a lot. I wonder what they put in it. Meat? <laughs> like it's a meat cappuccino. It's probably butter. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it comes in a little package. You can do it in hot water. I do it in coffee. Oh, yeah. I mix it with my coffee every morning, and uh, that gives me... That's the only supplemental thing I do outside and then everything else is normal yeah. Like today, uh, my wife and I, she needs to go to Hobby Lobby. We'll go to Columbia. Mm-hmm. We're going to really be bad today. <laughs> You're going to pockets? We're going to have crystal burgers. <laughs> you are. That's sad. I won't judge you, but you are. <laughs> we love crystal burgers, but we only eat them about once every six months. They are good. So we're going to cave today and we're gonna have crystal. it's okay I've, I've always heard even the, among the elite athletes that it's good to have a cheat day well each week. these people teach you 
when you're craving something, do it. Yeah, get it out of the way. Get it out of the way, but don't focus on it. Yeah. I mean, move on. What's funny yeah. is that when you are on a strict sort of regimen, when you do have a cheat day, um, like typically Friday nights is uh, from my wife and I are like the, the cookie or, or ice cream nights. Mm-hmm. And um, and you look forward to it and you do it, and the next day you're like, well, I can't do that I now for right. another week. Exactly. So. Yeah, you feel almost a little guilt. <laughs> Why did I do that? You, you love it, it and you hate it all at the same time. Yeah, but anyway, now we're. Uh, uh, I give God the glory in my life. I, I really do. I, I think it's more important. It's not about Jim. Well, you know, life's just man, it's gone. Yeah, we're not here long. Yeah, yeah and we we buried a child the other day. Oh, is that hard? Young couple lost mm-hmm. their baby. I only lived twelve days. But you know, I always think about what David did when he lost his child. You know, he he fasted. He, Beat his chest and prayed, God, please don't let this child die because of my sins. I mean, you know, yeah. the child died. And what did he do? He got up, cleaned up, ate, celebrated. Mm-hmm. Somebody said, what are you doing, David? Shame on you. You just lost your child. Hey, while that child lived, I begged God to save him. He said, nope. He can't come back to me, mm-hmm. but I can go to him. Yep. You know the gentleman I walk with over here. You saw me walking. Mm-hmm. He's he's feeble. Uh, Ken is his name. He said this morning, "Why does God let little children like that die?" Mm. I said, "You ever think about this? Why did God let His own son die?" Mm. We don't understand the mind of God. It's we can't we can't comprehend that God. But we can obey him, and we can love him, and we can believe him. Mm-hmm. We can practice what he asks us to do. That's all. That's fantastic. In fact, if you read Solomon's Ecclesiastes, you'll figure it out at the bottom of the page. The last statement basically is, he finally gets it. Fear God, keep his commandments. Mm-hmm. That's the whole duty of man. Because everything nothing else more. is meaningless. Yeah, everything else is meaningless. <laughs> it doesn't really count for nothing. He had a thousand wives. He had all the money in the world. I mean, he had everything. Or under the sun, if you read his book, it's always everything under, under the, the sun. sun. Yeah, it was under the sun here on earth. So it's not about that. It's not about that. Anyway, I don't want to get off with the no, I love religious it. things, but that, that's who Jim Willis is today. Yeah. Yeah, I've been a Marine. Been a, I was a good Marine. Well, um, tell me, let's go back before, before we get to that, because I do want to get into that. Where did you grow up in Pensacola? Pensacola, Florida, yeah. Okay. Went to Tate High School. Uh, my senior year of high school, we were ranked 12th in the state of Florida in football. We were good. I was the quarterback. Nice. I got a picture up there on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Number 13. You better that keep was that my one. favorite number. And so, Did you think that you would play professionally? Oh, no, goodness no. no. I was a little rotten. I weighed 127 pounds. When I, my coach put me in the program at 152. And I said, Coach, why don't you put my real weight in there? He said, I'm afraid they'll try to really kill you. <laughs> if they knew the if they truth. they knew you were so small. <laughs> but anyway, uh, no, I knew high school was it. And I had no dreams of going beyond high school. Yeah, I mean, you're barely more than 127 now. I weigh 100. I, I try to maintain around 140 to 145. That's, that's my, great. That's my goal. That's great. Uh, you mentioned your mother. 
Yeah. Tell me about your childhood life. Um, I mean, because that what you say two since two year old, years old, you were with your, your grandparents, mm-hmm. so you really didn't know. I never knew my mother as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother, who's six years older than me, he did. Uh, my mother decided that I was a squalling, hateful little baby, and she needed to take me out. Mm. And she apparently had maybe a butcher knife or something to wow. do that. My brother, well, she probably had postpartum or something that could yeah, be diagnosed absolutely. today, but. Uh, it, we were in the parsonage because my dad was a minister. The church was right next door, and he was in the office of the church. And my brother distracted her and kept her away from me. And my dad fortunately came in and realized what was going on, restrained her, and realized she had to have help. Yeah. So we were living in Alabama at the time, and uh, they were really citizens. They all Floridian, so we went back to Florida, and, and she ended up in Chattahoochee, which was a state mental hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after my father's death in 1972, my brother and I both went to the institution and said, what do we need to do to get her out? She was moving on in years, and uh, we wanted to have the last few years of her life as comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. So we found a nursing home that would take her, and they'd only took former mental patients and ladies named Miss Cook. And what a blessing that was. She lived her last several years there. And uh, the first year she was there, I was living in Memphis. Uh, I was teaching at one, one of the military schools there. I was still active duty. And I told my brother, and my brother lived in New York, I said, I'm going to have mom come and stay with us because we had a house with a mother-in-law wing. And, Brought her home, brought her up to the house and on Christmas. And so Christmas, sitting at the table at lunchtime, I said, Mom, that room you're in is yours. You can stay there. Now, she's acting kind of like a child yeah. in a lot of ways. She says, oh, no, James. I was James, officially, not Jim. Oh, no, James. I have to go home. I have things at home I have to take care of. Wow. I called my brother, I said, we can quit worrying about mom. Yeah. Ms. Coatney knows exactly what she's doing with these patients. Yeah. They all have purpose. They believe that they have a place in life. Yeah. That's what it's all about anyway, isn't yeah. it? She's happy, she's mm-hmm. content, she wants to be there. So we never worried about it from then on. And then I could so tell she went some, back to the home? No, she went back home in Vernon, Florida. Yeah. I could tell you some funny stories, I just a quick aside. They had this meeting area. They had the house was a long house. The Coatneys lived in one end, and then they had this long hallway with rooms on the other side. They had this central area where it was a gathering area where whenever you go visit, I mean, all the patients would come and just sit around. They were lonely and morning company. And they'd all sit there and hang on everything that we're saying. I take my children, I want them to know their grandmother, and they understood. I explained to them what's going on with their grandmother. And we'd sit there, and so this this one occasion, there's this old man coming down the hallway. And I don't know if you've ever heard this expression, but he's doing the Haldol shuffle. Uh-uh. Haldol is a medication. My wife's psych nurse. She's wanting to tell you all about that. And he's shuffling his feet because this medicine, it's one of the side effects. You can't walk very well, but it does have control. Right? Wow. But he's shuffling down the hall, and he'd stop every once in a while, hold his back and kind of squat, and swear and curse awful language. I'm telling you, I don't like children. There. So he does this, and about the third time he does it, my mom leans out. She says, don't pay attention to him. He's crazy. 
<laughs> I, of course, I wanted to laugh, but I knew respectfully I couldn't do that. Oh, my gosh. So, anyway, that's the kind of stuff. Just one time, this one old boy came over, and we were talking. He said, Tasman, yeah. He says, me and your mama's going to bust out of this place. I said, you are? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I got lots of money, lots of gold, lots of silver, got diamonds. <laughs> Yeah. He said, oh, yeah. He said, I ran with Jesse. Jesse here. Oh, Jesse James. You know Jesse. He said, oh, you robbed trains? You know? Oh, yeah. I said, shh, don't tell him. He said, I got it all here. I said, well, let me tell you what. You take my mama in here, you better take really good care of her because if you don't, I'm going to be your worst nightmare. <laughs> oh, no, sir. I'll take good care of her. <laughs> of course, you know, he was one of these with visions of grandeur, obviously. He robbed trains. But I, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, those are the kinds of characters. But we'd take my mom out. She'd want ice creams, and she loved dogs. And, I mean, she loved things little girls loved. But she was a sweet woman. So you and you, I learned to know her as my mother, of course. Like, but my grandmother raised me. She was my paternal grandmother. Yeah, me. yeah. She was good to me. You, your relationship with your mom, like so. When did you pick up your relationship with her? How, many, how long later? Nineteen seventy-two. So you were how old then? I'd been about thirty-one. Yeah, I had a family and children. Okay, so that was kind of you for you. Thirty years, you didn't really have much of a relationship, and then. Well, I mean, I knew my mom. Yeah. I asked my dad about her, and he would tell me. And my dad never remarried. He yeah. was, they're buried side by side. My mom. And wow. And let's go. And. Uh, my dad said that, you know, he would visit her very often, regularly, for the first couple of years. Said, but it just got so hard, she would beg, you know, take me home, please yeah. take me home. And the doctor would say, she can't, she can't yeah. go home, we can't. You know, in those days, mental patients were often institutionalized. I mean, well, they didn't have I mean, all these old movies about how they, oh wow, they did shock treatments yeah. on them. It was horrible. So my mom, my mom went through that. She's been my mother's been through that as well. Yeah. They didn't. Um, I actually started. I've got a book and I haven't finished it on um, antidepressants. And antidepressants didn't really hit start hitting the market till like mid to late fifties. I know. So everything before then, and even when they did start hitting the market, you get the sense that it was all like it was just tests. A lot of it was experimental. Yeah. They so it wasn't really proven. LSD was used. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's crazy. LSD turned out that. to be kind of a bad drug. Yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, my mom was, uh, I, I don't know, you know, clinically, uh, my wife and I have talked about it often, probably was a postpartum or something, like that, mm -hmm. so who knows. But my dad had began to detect her behavioral changes. Mm -hmm. uh, she had gotten very jealous. My dad's a nurse. Yeah. Shakes the hands of everybody, you know, at yeah. church. She didn't want him shaking those women's hands. Yeah. Don't shake those women's hands. Yeah. What? Honey, there are members of our church. I mean, yeah. well, I don't want you, I don't want you doing anything with those women. Well, you know, it was like, what's going on? And he had kind of been suspicious. And so when this occurred, he knew that, yeah. wow. Yeah. She's she's lost it. Yeah, we gotta yeah. get her some. 
professional. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I'm blessed. Uh, again, my grandmother, who had raised a family, one of the wonderful things, okay, quick story on her, she said to me, when she saw my first child, she saw my first child, she said, now, James, she says, you know, I'm so ashamed of myself. I said, Grandma, you mean you're ashamed of yourself? She said, well, you know, she said, I always pray to the Lord, please grant me health to raise my family. Mm -hmm. He blessed me. I, I raised all my children. She said, I lost some children to childhood deaths, but we raised our family. Mm -hmm. Then you two boys came along. She said, I had to go back and say, Lord, I need a little more time. Got to raise these two boys. He blessed me. Yeah. They got you two boys raised. You're on your own. You're grown. Said, now I'm asking for just one more reprieve. Yeah. <laughs> she says, I'm really ashamed of myself. She said, you know, we're building that new church building out on the highway. Of course, uh -huh. this was a country, little country community. Little church been there for a hundred years. She said, we're building this new. She said, and I said, please, Lord, I'd love to just see that new building. She said, and I can be the first funeral, that'd be fine. Yeah. She was the first funeral. Wow. Wow. Woman of great faith and great, great love. Yeah, she, obviously. She, uh, she, my grandfather died in 1952. She died in 1962. My dad died in 1972. His other sister, his sister that helped raise him died in 82. Yeah. His other sister died in 92 and left a brother. My brother and I said, now wait a minute. I guess Uncle Frank goes in 202. I said, you're the older, you go 12, I go 22. <laughs> Uncle Frank died in 96. Oh, Broke wow. the side. Yeah. I mean, we knew it was all coincidental, but it was my funny <laughs> kind of experience in life. So you, you your, your, your grandmother and grandfather raised you. Mm -hmm. What about your... Your dad, what, 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 what? He was, well, he's, he's, a, we all live together, but my dad, like, people having to take care of a large family, he worked all the time, he was uh -huh. a minister, he had a paper route, uh, he managed a paper route, he, uh, he, you know, he, he tried to, he taught at a uh, parochial college, I, it's called Faulkner University today, but huh. started off as uh, Alabama Christian, and then it was Montgomery Bible School before that. In fact, uh, Rex Turner started the school in 1942. My dad went to work for him in 44 during the war. And we moved to Montgomery and before we moved up to Townsend. But anyway. So he was, you said he was a pastor at a church in Alabama during the time? Yeah, 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 he was minister. Where, where was that at? Uh, well, he was preaching at Luverne, Alabama, if you know where that is. Mm -hmm. he, he preached there for about 25 years. Okay. And then uh, at his death, he had uh, gone to school. He had gone, to, well, you know who Lee Harper is? No. Kill him off Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. He went to school with her. Oh, uh, okay. At Huntington in Montgomery back years ago. Uh -huh. It had just become co-ed. It had done an all-girls school. <laughs> My dad was one of the first three guys that graduated, the first graduating Oh, class. wow. And so... My dad was the only one of those three that would go across the stage because the other two said, I'm not going across the stage with all those girls. My dad said, buddy, I earned this. I'm walking across the stage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm seeing Auburn on your belt. Yep. Why uh, is that? I graduated from Auburn. Did you? Yes. I'm ashamed yeah, I, of you. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> I'm, uh, a, I'm a roll tie. Well, my, my brother went to uh, Alabama. Did he? Yeah, my dad never forgave him, but he went to Alabama. <laughs> Yeah, he has his MFA from the University of 
Russia. Okay. I, they had a, they honored him here last, oh, it's been two or three years ago. That's fantastic. Yeah, invited the family. Well, you guys went to two great schools. Well, we were blessed again. I, I, uh, I didn't go back until I was in the Marine Corps. I, I got, uh, uh, I went on what was called degree completion program for staff NCOs mm -hmm. uh, in the Marine Corps, and I got to pick my school, so went to Auburn. Got my undergrad, and then after getting my undergrad, I went to Pepperdine, West Coast. Yeah. Got my MFA. That's a great school, too. My MBA. And then after that, I went to uh, uh, what was Memphis State University in Memphis now. And when I got my diploma, they changed it to the University of Memphis. Okay. There's a lot to ask there. So. so you went to college. Okay. So were you... I was a staffing cell when I finished my undergrad. Degree. Okay. I was on active duty. And they let me go to school, and they gave me 18 months to finish my undergraduate degree. I had gone to school uh, through the years, yeah. every time I got a chance. Yeah. So were you drafted after high school? Oh, like, no. What, what, tell no, me kinda... no, I was in school at Pensacola Junior College, me and two other guys uh, who was in... Uh, we decided we'd go down and talk to the Air Force recruiter mm -hmm. at lunchtime. If you're familiar with Pensacola, uh, Pensacola, Palafox, and Chase, the post officers right there. Mm -hmm. And that's where all the recruiters were in the basement in those days. So we went to the basement of the post officer. See the Air Force recruiter. It's noontime. Air Force recruiter's smart. He's gone lunch. He's not there. So we said, ah, fool. We'll go and talk to the Army then. We weren't going to talk to the Navy. We're in the Navy town. We don't like the Navy. They right. date all our girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> like bad. So I thought, well, we'll talk to the Army. We weren't real impressed with it. Well, we'll go talk to them. Well, I'm going to go there. So we leave it. And this old Marine comes out, hands on his hip. Can I help you, boys? And about that time, he says something very ugly. Oh, you wouldn't make a pimple on a Marine. Yeah. <laughs> we all face it. What did you say? Oops. Three days later, we're on a train head to Paris Island. Wow. He's a good recruiter. Oh, no, no kidding. He hooked us in good. Well, he challenged our manliness. Yeah. Yeah. We'll show you. We'll show you. <laughs> Children really... are vulnerable. I, know, but you I'm were you. regretting that a few yeah. weeks later. Well, my brother had been in during Korea. Okay. He was so angry with me. He literally whipped me. My brother was like, kind of almost like my stand-in dad because yeah. he was always around. He literally whipped me. I was so angry with him. I wouldn't speak to him. So I'm in boot camp two, about two weeks before I finally, oh, I got this thing all figured out, I wrote it. They finally let us write to it. Sure wish you had whipped me a little harder. Tell me, <laughs> tell me about boot camp in the Marines. Well, it's one of those, you almost have to experience it to really appreciate what it is. It's a psychological and physical challenge. You are challenged to do things you don't think you can do, but mm -hmm. you discover you really can. Right. Uh, you are told that you are what you know you're not, but they convince you that you are. Right. Uh, you're lower than a whale's belly. Right. I mean, you're just scum of the earth. You're, you, I mean, nobody cares about you. Are you we determined? blow you away, and who would care? Right. When they start that, you know, because you've got your pride on your shoulders. When they start that, are you determined to not get beat down by that at first? Well, I see, I was coached. I, I was fortunate to have had a brother who had been through that. Mm -hmm. He gave me simple advice. 
Number one, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. <laughs> Number two, when you open it, the first word out of your mouth is sir. And the last word when you shut your paw is sir. <laughs> Whatever you got to say in between is short and Very sweet. Short, yeah. It's primarily sir, yes sir, sir. In other words, you don't have to know a lot of words <laughs> to get through boot camp. When they say jump, you jump. You don't even ask how high. You just jump. Just do it. When they say move, you move. When they say whatever. Well, uh, so I did that. And at the, the day before what's called posting out where you graduate from boot camp, the DIs are finally talking to us like we're humans. I mean, you're not even human up to write that in. And this guy named Chavos, Staff Sergeant Chavos, says, the senior DI, the senior drill instructor, and the two of us, Sergeant Butler and the Staff Sergeant, we were looking at all of the records. So we thought, who is this guy, Willis? So we don't have any demerits on him at all? Nothing? So we realized, man, He'll have to have the Blues Award. He obviously did everything he's supposed to do and didn't ever create any problems. Really? Yeah. So I got the Blues Award and got a promotion to PFC out of boot camp. <laughs> for not getting, doing anything For not saying, for doing what I was told to do. So that's how I got through boot camp, because I was coached. Wow. Now, I don't know how I would have behaved without that coaching. Yeah. But my, me and the, my two buddies, it was three of us, we got there and formed a group to finish up a platoon to go in and the end of a battalion for training purposes. So they started us up. We were the only three guys south of Mason-Dixon. Everybody else was from the north. Right. So our drill instructor, our senior drill instructor was a guy named Lavin, J.P. Lavin. You never forget, by the way, these people. They're, I bet. They're, they're in, <laughs> they still imprinted in your brain. <laughs> but anyway, he says, give me my... Three, what did he call us? He called us up. Still Southern boys. It wasn't very nice. I want I want y'all to speak some Southern farce, please. No, he wouldn't say please. Now. So he put us on these foot rockers. And we just had to talk. <laughs> and everybody laughed. He'd, he'd laugh. He'd say, oh, isn't that funny? <laughs> you know, so I know about ridicule and being put down because of y'all. So I mean, I dealt with that. Yeah, I knew that it was part of the game. Oh my goodness! How how long was boot camp? Do you remember? Oh yeah, remember that well, It was twelve weeks when I went through. It's been, it varies anywhere from. I think it has been as short as six weeks during World War Two, whenever they were really pushing people through, to as long as twelve weeks. Okay. And so, the only time I went through was kind of between. If you think think about nineteen fifty nine. Did, did the Marines have the reputation of being the toughest like they did today? Well, Marines have always uh, held itself up as a ready-to-take-action right. organization. We, In other words, if the country needs a fighting force in a particular place in, in the world, uh, the Marines are often the first to, to go because mm -hmm. they're ready. We... we, we we're always ready. We're, every Marine is a basic rifleman. Right. You're trained to fire a rifle. You learn to, I can field strip a rifle 
blindfolded. Yeah, I bet. And it's just, you, you become very familiar. You know all the parts, you know how to clean, you know. You know how to take care of your weapon. And uh, so every Marine, Commandant all the way down to the lowest private, is a basic rifleman. Right. That's what the glue that holds us all together. And we're a brotherhood and sisterhood in that once we're a Marine, we always believe Marine. that we're always yeah. a Marine. And so we, we uh, look out for one another. There's this sense of, I, you're in trouble, I need to help you. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's a group of folks who don't try to find excuses for why not, but how well can we do what we are asked to do. Right, you make it happen. And just make it happen. Yeah. Tell me that. So the timeline after you come out of boot camp, you were you said you went to Vietnam, right? How but not right away not right because right. my first tour, I, I stayed in the Marine Corps and, and my first hitch, and in nineteen, uh, I, I started in fifty nine, and in nineteen let's see fifty nine sixty sixty one sixty two yeah sixty three I think sixty three, in nineteen sixty three, I should have gotten out on October the twenty seventh. But I got out early so I could go to college. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got out and I went to college uh, for a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now is that the junior college or is that Auburn? Uh, this was at Alabama Christian. Okay, okay. And my dad wanted me to be a minister. Okay. So I, I gave it a shot. You know, I went, went to the school. And, and I, I mean, I pride uh, having been introduced foundation things. But anyway, uh, I'm, I'm proud of that. Yeah. Uh, grateful for it I should say but anyway the uh, after a period of time uh, I thought this is not my life I, I want to finish my career in the right. military. so I was still a reservist and so I went back on active duty and it was during that second time after going back on active duty a short time later I went to Vietnam my first time in 1965 okay and uh, then I went again in late uh, early 70. Wow. So I did two tours. How long was the Vietnam War? I know I should uh, know this, but... Well, no. You have it on your card. Got it on my card. <laughs> I, I mean, I know officially, according to this, the Vietnam War was from February the 28th of 61 until May the 7th of 75. Wow. So, so that's about 14 years, I guess. Goodness so, gracious. It was, it was a long drawn out. You know, the French had been there before. Yeah. And, uh, man, I, So I, you yeah, went I, in 65. Yeah. And then you... Went back. Wow. Uh, went back toward the end of the conflict, even though the war wasn't officially over until 75. Most of the conflict was over in the 72 time frame. Right. Saigon fell, and we pulled out, and we still had a few advisors, but uh, it was pretty much over. Did you experience any combat while you were there? Unfortunately. Did you? Does that um I don't like to talk about it but I'll try. No, no, no. We won't we won't talk about it if you don't. Well, it just makes me. You know, it, it conjures up um, unpleasant things of life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, were a part of who you are and what you did. I mean, I've I've got uh, those that I I knew and loved. We didn't come home. Yeah. And there's always a little uh, survivor's remorse for soldiers and sailors and marines. Yeah. You know, I mean, at the time... Why did I get to come home? Oh, yeah. Didn't, so. 
at the time you probably don't have time to process any of that anyway. Do you? You know, you're, you're still in the middle. No, of it. I mean you're you're dealing with day to day, and uh, you know when you're under under attack, you're trying to deal with it right. and uh, survive. Yeah. And, uh, what was your rank then? Uh, first, my first tour there, I was a uh, let me think, a sergeant. Mm-hmm. My second time there, I was a master sergeant. Okay. I, I, uh, uh, I was in aviation. My, each time, I worked in aviation electronics. Oh wow! And, uh, we were always down. Da Nang and Chulai are the two bases where mm-hmm. I served, and uh, we, and of course the Vietnamese wanted to take us out, obviously all the time because yeah. we were supporting close air support for our Marines on the ground, and uh, we were getting hit. But they, one of their favorite, one of their favorite uh, weapons was a 104 uh, millimeter rocket that they liked to fire with a uh, explosive head on it and try to take our aircraft out but obviously it was not real accurate they took some of our folks out yeah it hit barracks and it would hit living areas and work areas and so we, you know I, I, I've heard the shrapnel oh I bet so I knew that had I not moved just you know half a second earlier I'd have been shrapnel you know I'd been gone I'd been it. but so those are kinds of experiences yeah. that they're part of who you, who you are and you accept it. When you do a tour, how long is a tour typically? Well, in the Marine Corps, we did 13-month tours. Uh, wow. The, uh, I, I can't speak for other services. I don't know what the Army, the Air Force, I don't know what those tours were, but we did 13-month tours, and uh, uh, I, I never quite understood why the 13 months rather than 12. <laughs> <laughs> 13 months and toward the end you had your little short timers calendar and you mark them out the days when I get to go home and the sad ones were the ones that would be close to going home and went back in the bag yeah mm. tell me you know how do you think combat has affected you as a man through life like how do you think it uh, that's a good question I uh I think one of the things that I I know is that uh, human beings are fundamentally the same uh, across the globe. Mm-hmm. Uh, mothers love their babies. Uh, there are good dads and there are bad dads. Mm-hmm. And there are those somewhere in between. There are people who have, you know, so he said, but isn't it different with this group? Yeah, possibly to some extent. There are some differences. I mean, color of a man's skin allows you to distinguish between that person and this person. Uh, maybe their physical size. Some, some tend to be bigger people, smaller. But you know, fundamentally, we're all human beings. Yeah. And, uh, could I, on any given day, go out and just kill another human being just to kill another human being? Well, I hope I'd never be of that state of mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't, at least at this point in my state of mind, I couldn't do that. In combat, 
it's a position you take of survival. And in the mode of surviving, you do those things that allow you to survive. And sometimes that means you take another person's life. Mm -hmm. It's never good. Right. War is not a good thing. It's a terrible thing. And it's sad, sad that we as human beings uh, have to sometimes resort to that. Uh, I have no problems with people who are conscientious objectors. I respect that. I know there's people that could not conscientiously do what I did. Mm -hmm. uh, they may be right. I, I, I don't wear a sense of guilt. Uh, it, there's not this sense. I, I don't go around and because I, I really believe that I'm a, 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 a redeemed sinner. Mm -hmm. A sinner still. Always will be. Uh, but I do believe in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and I'm confident as a redeemed uh, believer, one who is a disciple of Christ, that I'm, I'm, I'm in a safe position in, in my existence. Yeah. Uh, did combat change that? Well, what would have happened to my soul had I died in combat? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I do know that uh, God and his dealings with humanity has sometimes been very harsh with other human beings. I've read about Israel yeah. going across the Jordan mm -hmm. with Joshua leading them. And man, I mean, they destroy everybody. Yeah. Everybody? Yeah. Women, children, innocent babies. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. they're all gone. That's God's sanction. Does God still sanction? I don't know. But I do know that uh, God expects us to be obedient to him and that he wants us individually to do that. And hopefully as a group of people, we can gather ourselves together as a nation and try to do that. But God isn't always with us yeah. whenever we are behaving contrary to his will. Yeah. Uh, we learned that uh, dealing again, going back to the Old Testament times whenever the Israelites uh, had some sin in the camp. Went up against AI and AI just whooped hard. <laughs> what happened? Joshua said, Joshua lay prostrate. Why? Why, God? Because you got sin. You didn't do what I asked you to do. Clean up your mess first. Yeah. So sometimes we in our own society have to clean up our messes. Yeah. And that sometimes involves international, sometimes national, sometimes local issues. Did so. you go, um, were you, did you go to Vietnam a Christian? Yes. Did you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I performed as a Christian. Yeah. I, I never went out to try to find somebody just to kill. Right. That was never my intention. Uh, was I a part of organizations where death occurred? Absolutely. Was I even a part of the individual that was responsible? Most likely. Is that uh, appropriate? Don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Those are things God will have to answer. Exactly. But uh, as a citizen of this country, as a believer that uh, when called upon to do my duties, 
I think Paul addresses it pretty well in Romans about local authorities. They're there because God allows it. Everybody that's in charge is there only yeah. because God. Even, even those that weren't. Even old Pharaoh. He didn't want to let them go, but he finally let them go. But God, hey, you're only there because God allowed you to be there, Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Don't think you're all popular. You know, so. Anyway, yeah, it's a mixture of uh, feelings, of course, whenever you're in a combat situation. Yeah, you, you have a, you know there's a, a person out there that very likely has a family that loves him, depends mm-hmm. on him, and he's no longer going to be there because what you're going to do is likely going to result in his death. Yeah, yeah. So how do you rationalize that in your mind? You know that very often it might also be you. In fact, I came back to Vietnam one time and I had a woman come up to me and she was very angry. She had lost her brother. And after swearing at me a little bit, she says, why wasn't it you instead of my brother? And the only thing I needed to say to her was, ma'am, it very likely may be me next time. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry you lost your brother. In combat, there's always that potential yeah. for loss of life. Do you do you, you you mentioned sense of survival? Did you do you feel that? Did you carry that with you in your day to day life? In a sense, like I think you you live the rest of your life with a sense of you know I could very well not have been here yeah. having this conversation. Yeah, I mean there were more than one occasion when death's door was. Knocking, even after I told you about my heart attack. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, a lot of things in life. Now, uh, you know, one thing I, I, I believe is that God, when he created everything, he had a plan. He had a plan for everything. Uh, but I think he also allows us to be truly free moral agents. Mm-hmm. I think he allows us. He gave us this thing up here called brain. I think he would like for us to use our brain <laughs> in a way that's always in full obedience. If the world was obedient to God, there, there'd be no problems. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not. Satan still has a lot of activity here on this earth, and he's busy today. He's busy every moment. Yeah. And whenever you think he's not out there roaring about, <clears throat> ready to gobble us up, that's when you're in trouble. Constantly must be on guard. How do you think the military prepared you as a man? Well, coming out of the military. Coming out of the military. I think it allowed me to have a sense of uh, understanding the necessity for following uh, some form of regimen in life. We can't always do it the way I'd like to do it and still be in the best interest of all that are connected with this, whatever it is, yeah. be it family, uh, activities, driving down the highway. Why do I have to obey the rules? Because it's in the best interest of the other fellows out there driving down right. the same road. Uh, why do I have to stop at stop sign? Because that's, if I don't, then I'm probably going to hit somebody that's trying to obey their rules. So. I understand rules. I understand uh, the necessity for them. Uh, 
I understand the necessity to not think you always have to be the one in charge. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's better to listen to authority who has some better understanding about a situation than you do, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I, so I guess from that standpoint, uh, I, I know that uh, it's not a weakling to be obedient. That Sometimes obedience is difficult mm -hmm. whenever you believe there's a better way, but I don't have that authority to make that choice, yeah. and so I have to go with the way that's chosen, and I can do that. So it's almost you, 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 uh, you learned a sense of humility in the sense absolutely. that... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you learned that. Being disciplined to listen and obey, and yeah. being disciplined to not feel like you got to be the man in the room, and just... Yeah. Let the, the wiser take control. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's, there's times when, uh, even in the military, when uh, you think, that's not the way I'd do it. Mm -hmm. But I'm not the one calling the shots. Yeah. So I do it the way I'm asked to do it. Uh, that's tough to do, too. And Well, I got to a point in my career where I was finding that I was feeling like, wow, why are we doing things this way? Mm -hmm. And it was time for me to get out of the way. Yeah. Time for me to retire. And that's yeah. when I chose to retire. I was at 29 Palms, California. And I had people from all over the court that knew me, and they called me, you know, you can go here, here. I was like, no, it's time for me to get out of the way. You were 29? I was at 29 Palms. Oh, okay. So a location in California. It's in the desert. Oh. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Can you just... Do you have to serve a, a, a minimal amount of time before you can decide to retire? Oh, yeah. They don't yeah. just let you just two no, years 20, in. 20 mm -hmm. years is minimum. Okay. Number of years for retirement. Uh, and uh, you can spend no more than about 30, and then you are going to retire. Right. You're, getting, you're starting to get in the way. Okay. Yeah. And you're not as young and agile and capable as we need you right. for a defender of our nation. Yeah. So it's uh, 20 to 30 years is norm. Now, military officers, there are some exceptions. For example, uh, Omar G. Bradley was the last uh, five-star that was living. And when he died, he was on active duty five-star general. Five-star generals are lifetime yeah. appointments. They're there for life. They're there until they die. There's only been nine five-stars in the history of the American Wow. And Omar G was the last one. Wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah. This is this is sort of a, a weird question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. When you're serving, you're doing it for the cause of a great country. You know, and most military men and women, if you talk to them, they do it because they believe in what America stands for and the freedom. Um, but have you ever wondered how government might take advantage of the good intentions of military men and women to uh, to maybe to fulfill like their sort of somewhat twisted plans? Has that ever, like, you ever thought of that, you know? Well, you know. And, and the reason I, why I ask is, is like, especially in this season of politics, it seems like the older I get, the more aware I get of like, we're dealing with very powerful, wealthy um, people. And I just, it, it it's, and it, like I said, especially in this season, I'm going, what, what is happening? 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, who's in control of our military and what does it, you know, it just, it just feels well, You know, somewhat... the commander in chief is the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, the commander in chief, of course, has tremendous power over the military. Uh, so it is an important political position. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful that in our society that we chose to have a civilian in charge of the military, mm. not a military king in charge of everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the best choice. Is it always the person that I would choose to be my commander-in-chief if I had a personal choice? No. I mean, but that's been true throughout history. Yes, yeah. It's not just happening in this current election when we're debating in our minds is who's the better of this and that. Uh, those are choices we have to make. I, I personally, I mean, just a, a quick aside, I don't like the two choices we have to choose at this point. I don't know many people uh, that do. <laughs> but it's unfortunately that probably one of the two leading uh, camps there are other camps that are really out there and we forget them because they're almost insignificant. But we may see some changes this time. I don't know what's yeah. going to happen. But, uh, you know, the the will of the people, that's what speaks in yeah. our society. Is that good, bad, and different? I, I don't know. I mean, the will of the people is not always right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that historically. Whenever we fail to remember history, we repeat it. And that's the truth. I actually, uh, I, I uh, interviewed a guy uh, a couple weeks ago. His name's Stephen Mansfield. He's an author, um, Fox News commentator, CBN. Uh, but he uh, he did uh, a New York Best Time seller, uh, The Faith of George W. Bush. And he's written several books. He's written on Winston Churchill. And, yeah. And uh, but he's a big historian. He went to school for history, and and just talking to him, it's history. very rich. And you're and you're right. I mean, like I've always heard that quote of that you, you know, the the idea of that you'll be better prepared for the future the more you're aware of what happened in history and the decisions that were made. You know, um, and and I'm finding like the more that I read, I'm actually in the middle. I've gotten this this bug lately to read a lot of um, histor- American history books lately, and. Um, and it's just, it's very interesting. Like, in, in school, when you're a kid, you're like, I just got to get through a stupid class. Yeah, right, right. But then the older you get and you become a parent and a husband, and, you know, it's interesting the things you learn. I, uh, I'm, I'm guilty. I mean, I, I've repeated things that I should not have repeated in life because I knew it from previous situations in my own family. Why did you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, so, I can call the, the kettle black if I want to, but <laughs> I'm just as guilty too. So, well, it's not, I mean, it's always easy to point our fingers out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very often we need to sometimes just sit back. You said you wanted to know something about my political thing. I, I start with local politics. I think it's very important. I, I'm, it always bothers me that Folks don't go to vote for locally elected people. Right. And then those that go don't know much about who are the candidates. And, you know, you say, well, what do you think about something? Who's that? Oh, you didn't know he's running? No, I never heard of him. 
Okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I, I do some, I take time to find out who the candidates are. I try to find out as much as I can about them, read articles about them. I try to meet them if I can and vote for them because I think the local community needs good leaders too. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, my community is important to me. Uh, then I vote for them based on who they are as human beings, what they think about my community. There's no national implications. Yeah. Uh, it don't have to be a Republican. It don't have to be a Democrat. It don't have to be an independent. I'm not into that local politics. I'm into the person. Uh, state politics, very often, I'm into the person. Sometimes, though, I start to lean a little bit toward a political persuasion based right. on what, what position I think tends to be more conservative. Mm -hmm. So I'm, because I'm a conservative thinker. When it gets to national politics, I'm always a true Republican. Right. I'm not telling people that. And I vote the Republican Party primarily for the courts, mm -hmm. primarily for the Supreme Court. That's my key consideration because those, unfortunately, are lifetime appointments, which I wish they were not. Yeah. I'm opposed to that. And if I ever have an opportunity to help change that, I will be a proponent to limit it to a 10-year tenure max. It is interesting when everything else in government is as has a time frame. Right. Courts don't. Yeah, that's crazy. And unfortunately, if the courts performed as courts, that would be fine. But courts have become partisan. Mm -hmm. They're not just courts anymore. They're not just judges of the law. They're lawmakers. Yeah. They're not supposed to be. Right. In our Constitution, they're not supposed to be. But they themselves are making this. But anyway, that's a whole other issue. So that's, the, <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, that's the <laughs> thing that bothers me most about our current situation. It scares me. I mean, that you there's a you, there's a lot of people that have said that to me, uh, interesting conversation. But more concerned about the Supreme Court than anything no, else. That's my major concern. Yeah. Uh, what advice do you have for young men and women uh, that's that may be serving soon in the military or that is serving now? Well, I hope that they will never forget their creator uh, and realize that as human beings, we are uh, subjects of God. Whether we like that, don't like it, has nothing to do with it. We are. And uh, I would hope that people would uh, be Christians. They, they would recognize that that creator had a son. He gave that son to the earth, all humanity. He allowed him to die on a cross. And he did all that for one simple reason, to give us hope. That so the whole duty of man, as Solomon says, is to fear God and keep his commandments. I hope we, whatever we do in life, whether we're warriors, whether I'm a welder, whether I'm a preacher, whether I'm a school teacher, a truck driver, a baker, it doesn't matter. All of that is just for life. But life is really about preparing for eternity. Mm -hmm. And so as a warrior, <laughs> you're no different. Yeah, you're out there defending your country. You're going to do as you're asked. I want you to perform well. I want you to do your job. I want you to be obedient. Uh, just as you were as a child to your parents, I hope. And, be obedient to your leaders. The authorities do have power to tell you what you can do and can't do. If at some point it crosses the boundary of what your faith allows, 
it's time to not do that. Mm. And that's possibly going to occur at some point in history. I don't know. It hasn't, I don't think, yet, uh, where I cannot practice my faith. As a, I mean, I've been at sea and practiced my faith. Uh, I mean, sometimes with only two or three of us right. gathered together. Uh, we'd use uh, one of the chapels and practice our faith. But I always had a Bible. I read my Bible. I, I think that's how God communicates with me. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, there's, in my, in my belief, there's no, no later day, no time when somebody came in and started telling me other things. I think what's told is there. Right. It's written and it's ready for me to consume. And I need to do that. Yeah. I need to do it regularly. I mean, considering what they may be facing, you know, in the coming days in their service, you're saying, like, get, you know, you're gonna need you're gonna need a faith that's absolutely. That's and if, if if the service demands of you something that crosses the line, and it's getting very close in some areas, mm -hmm. even in my opinion, uh, one of the major problems uh, that we're having is our uh, refusal to understand the difference in gender. Uh, we got people wanting to say it's okay to behave uh, male with male, female with female. I say, sorry, that's not what my Bible teaches me. Mm -hmm. That teaches me that that's sin. and uh, No amount of government can change that. Right. Yet, we've got now aboard naval vessels. Uh, we've crossed the line, in my opinion, already in some cases. On submarines, we put women and men together. Are they going to live in close quarters with one another? It creates some stresses. Now, can people do that and still be obedient to the Lord? Yes, but it sure is stressful. I bet. Yeah. Tell me, what do you think? Uh, we were talking upstairs about uh, this event that's coming up, the fundraiser for homeless veterans. Uh huh. Art, what? Art on the fly. And this may be too broad of a question to really be able to answer, but what do you think in your experience of coming back from serving and then coming back to the United States, what what causes some people to come home and not be able to, like, to get back into the routine of, you know, living life over here, and then some of the people like yourself that are able to come back in and then go back to school and get, start, you know, Life as usual. What would what, what, what and because I'm sure you've met these men and women. Um, what, what what do you think is it? Is it a frame of mind or is it circumstantial? Well, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. True story. About a marine. Good marine. Mm -hmm. And he was a person who was a sniper. Sniper is defined as a person whose job is to put in his sights, the enemy, and squeeze the trigger. Mm. Take that person out of existence. Uh, he was a young man. He was given an assignment. This guy had been a physicist working in some of our labs uh, with some very highly classified materials for purposes of armed forces use. 
this man was born of a family that were Chinese, but he was born in the United States, American citizen, born as an American citizen, had the features of an Asian, but born and raised, grew up, became a trusted uh, physicist working in research labs on special weapons, special munitions, uh, kinds of research, who defected during the Cold War, decided he had to go to China, his home. China wasn't his home, he was born in the United States. Anyway, he had a lot of information that was dangerous to give to the hands of what we perceived as someone who was not our comrade, right. was not our friend. This young Marine was given an assignment to take this guy out. He was going to be in Hong Kong, where this American could be. He knew the dates and the times and the places, and he was to get himself in position in order to take this guy out. Wow. So he does. This young Marine gets himself. It took him uh, quite, quite some time to get set up. His focus is strictly on the target that he's been told the who, the where, the so forth, and what he's to do. He gets to that moment in time when he has his weapon, he has his sights, he's got a scope sight, about a thousand yards, he knows he can take his target out. And when he sees in his sight the target, he recognizes that this man was his roommate in college many years before. Oh my goodness. What do you do? Yeah. Goodness gracious. He squeezed it. Yeah. Why? That was his job. Now, what did that do to him mentally? It messed him up pretty good. Now people say, well why? Well, put yourself in his shoes. What if that had been one of your friends and you were asked because he had become a traitor you were to take him out because what he could carry was far greater danger to society than just this one man. That's the rationale. He took him out and did his job. There's a book about him. But anyway, he became an operative during Vietnam as one of the men that the Vietnamese and North Vietnamese and the Chinese feared most because he was a fierce fighter. Yep. Long story short, during Vietnam he was captured. Uh, they took something like 19 Vietnamese soldiers were taking him back to China for interrogation because they knew who he was. They knew he had taken this guy. I mean, they knew his history. Those 19 men didn't survive. Fierce fighter. A man that knew how to survive. He's dead now. And the guy who wrote the book about him, uh, a friend of mine, the guy in fact worked for me in the Marine Corps, Gene Hayes. And, uh, you know, he said he was a complex man. He was a man that always his mind was focused on doing his job as a Marine. Put that man in a civilian role, how does he behave? Yeah. Can't adapt very mm -hmm. well. 
you know, I dealt with combat. I have some terrible memories. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I think my Christian faith helped me more than anything else. Mm-hmm. I think being recognizing that, yeah, I'm a sinner. I was a sinner when I went. I was a sinner when I was there. I'm still a sinner. Mm-hmm. But God does forgive, and the blood of Jesus Christ does wash me clean. Either I believe that or I don't. I believe it. And I accept it. So uh, I know people who constantly conjure up images of their past and they constantly berate themselves and beat themselves up for having done whatever they did. Right. My faith don't allow me to do that. Mm-hmm. My faith says I've got to believe that it, either Jesus' blood can cleanse me or it can't. He says it can. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Yeah. I believe it does. I believe it did. I'm a firm believer that in order to come in touch with the blood of Jesus Christ, I had to be baptized into the blood of Christ yeah. through water and bread baptism. And I'm a firm believer that I was washed clean. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I obviously that. from your perspective, um, and Christian I'm, faith is the Christian same. faith does ultimately is the best out for people who... But people that... And I, I mean, some of these people, I'm sure, come back and... They are, I mean, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. It's not a just a name. It's not a game. It's not a silly, coined phrase. It's a reality. Yeah. And people's minds. My mother's mind was distorted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think she hated me. I don't think she was going to take me. I think her mind was just messed up and yeah. how she perceived the solution to the problem of a squalling child. Um, I agree. I don't think, um, you know, I have not talked about my mom on the podcast yet, but um, I love her to death and she's sure. still alive. She's 60, I think. Um, but she's still, I mean, she's struggled since she was in her te- early teens. And don't you that believe we know of. that's real. That's and that's, not, and that's the thing is I don't think anybody comes back from war or I don't think someone like your mom or my mom wakes up every day and goes, I want to be crazy or I no, want to struggle with no, this mental. No, no, no one wants that. And I listen to, that's why it's hard for me to be mad at her because I listen to the struggle sure. between her, just inside her own head. And I, and I hear her and I just go, she doesn't want this for herself. Um, you know, she, the, the struggle that I have is that she believes in Christ. And, yeah. and for whatever reason, God has just not released her from that. I, you know, I would argue, you know, it's the same thing. Like I would argue that Christ is the way out of that for soldiers coming back. But at the same time, sometimes doesn't mean that we won't fail. They're not, yeah, they, they, you're not going to struggle with it. Look at know? Peter. Yeah. Peter. Yeah. I mean, he's a man that we always hold up as one of the great disciples and apostles of Jesus Christ. He denied him three times. But he'd seen all he did. How can you do that, Peter? Well, because we're human. We are weak. I fail every day. I mean, there are things I ought to do I don't do. There's things I shouldn't do I do. I mean, I commit and I omit. And I I know it. And it, oh, it aggravates me. Does that make me crazy? Yeah, on one level. Yeah. 
I think we're all so, crazy. What is sanity? So, I mean, you know, we can get into those kinds of discussions, but, you know, I, I tell you, I love those. My, my brother-in-law, I, I love him to death. His name's Johnny. He's, a, he's really a great guy. But boy, he struggles with PTSD. Yeah. I mean, he was a Vietnam guy. Yeah. And he just, he struggles. He still struggles. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a good man. Here's a man that uh, I could tell you stories about, make your hair curl. But uh, he's, he, he comes to grips with it as good as any man I know. Well, I've probably gotten off track. No, I love it. I think I think it's necessary. Um, how many years did you serve? Well, I started in 1959. I retired in 1982. Okay. And I had a little reserve time also in there. But about uh, fully active, about 23, 25, time you added in some of the reserve time. But Before we get off of what we were just talking about, do you, um, do you think that... We live in a very blessed country. Oh, yeah. Almost oh, yeah. so blessed. And I haven't really experienced a lot. I've been overseas a couple of times. I haven't experienced a lot of overseas. But you do get a sense of like, okay, we we live, even if you're poor over here, you're still wealthier than most oh, of the rest man, of the world. Yes. But do you, do you, but it's, we're, we've become, I feel like as a nation, we've become more, we've taken the posture more spoiled brats than. Um, man, the ugly American. You've ever heard that expression? What is it? Years ago, the expression ugly American was one of those things the Europeans coined about us. Why? Because we were those that expect you, you ought to learn English. What do you mean speaking to me in Spanish? What do you mean speaking to me in French? What do you mean speaking to me in, you know, Swahili? English is just a You, we're the superior ones around here. Yeah. Ugly Americans. Mm -hmm. We demanded our way on every corner of the globe. So do you think that that sort of mentality is what makes it for someone like you who comes from combat who has just been in in the balance between life and death and then comes back to a spoiled brat america do you think that that's one of the things that doesn't help that makes it hard for soldiers like who experience life like none the rest of us haven't you know you know like i said around the globe you see i uh vietnam beautiful Mm-hmm. It really is. A lot of rice fields. I mean, they, they grow a lot of rice. <laughs> <laughs> but their beaches, the first time I went there, I said, why are we over here? Why do these people worry about this land? I know they're dealing with some poverty issues, but you know what? They can build some resorts out on these beaches and exploit all of the European tourist market. And they would flock to these beaches. Are they beautiful? They are. Are they really? beautiful beaches? Why aren't they doing that? You know, I don't. Well, I don't know. They want to protect the rice paddies. Come on. <laughs> I mean, you got to have food. I know, but if, if it's all about poverty, and that, that would be one of the explanations, people. You got these poor people. They don't have to be. It's just a matter of how you use what resources you have. God gives us opportunities in this world mm-hmm. and we lack wisdom in how to use it. Yeah. I mean, I'm guilty too. Yeah, yeah. 
life after military, what happens? Well, for me, it was, uh, I had a dream. I, I loved Radio Shacks. Really? The greatest stores in the world. To me. <laughs> and the reason I loved them is because I was in electronic, and I taught a lot of students in electronic, and I could always get them to go to the store and buy these little kits, and they could learn hands-on kind of stuff, aside from what we would teach them in the classroom. And I learned that this was a valuable little store, and they were very reasonable in these kinds of things. Not their major product stuff, the little. So I thought, that's what I want to do. When I retire, I want to manage a radio shop. So I, uh, my wife, we went to Memphis. We retired there. And uh, I went over and I found the regional manager for what was then Tandy Corporation, because Tandy Corporation out of uh, Fort Worth owned all the radio shacks in the country. And I said, hey, what's the chances of working for you guys? Here's who I am, here's my credentials, here's what I know. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, man, yeah, yeah. He said, I said, what's the chances of getting a store? I mean, I know I've got to go through some training. He said, yep, you have to go through six months. I said, okay, that's what. I can do that. And he said, uh, I said, but I, I want a store about Memphis. He said, oh, yeah, we've got 22 stores here in Memphis. He said, we can get you a store within six months, no problem. So we have some turnover. Okay, great. Anyway, so I go to work for him. I'm in, I'm in training, three months. He comes by, takes me to lunch. Um, well, he wants to know how things are going. So we go to lunch and we're talking. And he says, man, he says, you are really way ahead of the curve. And he said, <laughs> obviously, you, you already could run a store. He said, uh, you, you got some skills. And I said, well, yeah, I have a master's degree in business. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. He said, that's why we like you. He said, you love electronics. You know your product. You know how to get along with people, blah, blah, blah. He said, I got this great need down in New Orleans. I said, where? He said, down in New Orleans. Now, what are you talking? He said, well, he said, we take it down there. He said, we'll get, I said, whoa, time out. He said, you and I, we had this conversation. You get, I can get a store. He said, you know, you guys are just like the Marine Corps. <laughs> You're going to tell me where you need me and you will send me to that place. And nah, I, you know, I, I've been here in Memphis for a while. I got buddies been recruiting me to go over here to this two-year college to go to work. They know that I can teach for them, blah, blah, blah. So I think I'll just go ahead and take that job. And I can take it in January. This is like in October or something. I said, I'll stay with you through Christmas. I won't leave you. Yeah, till especially after during Christmas. the holiday said, season. I know, I know during the holiday season. <laughs> we sell crazy. a lot of stuff and we make our money. In. So I'm not going to leave you. But I said, right after Christmas, I'm gone. Oh, man, no, 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 no. I said, no. I said, I, I, you know, either you or the next guy. I understand it. It's a corporate world. You, I, would have, I would have been smart enough to have known that. You're not just a little mom and pop operation in Memphis, Tennessee. You're around the United States. In fact, you even got some foreign places that you got stores. So I don't need to get caught up in that. This old school I'm going to go to work for, they stay right here in Memphis. That's where they are. <laughs> I can go to work every day. Boom, 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 boom. I'll be happy. Life will be good. And I'll just forget my dream. Yeah. So that was my dream. So anyway, long story short, I went to work in January for the college. Spent the next 25 years working for the college. What did you start teaching? What were you? I was teaching electronics. Electronics? Yeah. 
And that I loved was, it. But electronics has passed me by. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. the electronics world is is a fun place if you stay up with it. But, yeah. I it's moving up. so fast now. Oh, it's, yeah. I mean, the, I don't take know a chip that. the size of your fingernail, it's got more power than the ENIAC computer has. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And, and that's what you, you taught. You taught that for 20... For 25 years? I didn't know. I got it. I started teaching in the business. So, okay. Yeah. I, uh, I actually taught some courses I really loved. I, I used to teach some how to maintain a quality production environment. Right. Uh, I loved that because I could teach people basic operational statistics using, you ever hear of a guy named Deming? W. Edwards Deming? Mm-mm. You ever hear of Shuhart? Uh, anyway, there, there's a lot of these people that, were the quality gurus, and uh, and if you remember, and we were kind of getting our our, our uh, back stabbed, and beat up, and kicked by the Japanese uh, in the automotive industry for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, American automobiles were going down, and Japanese vehicles were yeah. coming up, and people were starting to buy them, and American market was going down too. Well, this guy, W. Edwards Deming, was a statistician that went to Japan after World War II. MacArthur brought him over there, taught them, basically, how to run a production environment. I and have read, I've read about him. read about him. Uh-huh. W. Edwards read, Deming. And it was in the last few years I read about him. I can't remember Beautiful, beautiful man. He, he lived until he was 90-something. Uh, he was from... Uh, yeah, he Cody changed Lyman. their whole thing around. Oh, yeah, he changed the whole... He changed the thing. And there was a white paper. Somebody said, who is this guy Deming? And there was an NBC white paper on him, and they said, W. Edwards Deming, he's doing this in Japan. Why isn't he doing here? It's because Americans said, we don't want you. Yeah. They didn't want his ideas. He was the guy that convinced us that when you take the census, you don't try to count everybody. You can't. <laughs> what day do you count everybody? No, no. What minute do you count everybody right. to know the population for that minute? Because it changes the next minute. All right, anyway, uh, Shuhart, uh, was the predecessor of Deming. Shuhart was, he was at, uh, uh, he was an at and guy. Right. And uh, Bell Labs uh, was in those days out in Jersey. A wonderful guy. And it teaches to teach. Anyway, fundamentally, I'll give you a quick example of the principle. If you drive from your house to, where do you want to go? Where do you go shopping? Kroger. Okay, drive. You can do this for do it for thirty times. You can do it on your own. So have a have a place that you want to consider starting. Write down the exact time to the closest minute, anyway, mm-hmm. that you can. Drive to Kroger. Write down the time you got there. Do that thirty times. I guarantee you, it won't be precisely the same time. Right. 30 times. Right. There'll be what's called variability. Right. But it's normal variability. I mean, it's going to happen. You can't control everything. You can't control the traffic. Some days it's going to be pouring down rain. Some days it's going to be clear. Some days you're going to catch all the traffic just right. Some days you're not. You know, there's all kinds of variables out there right. that impact. Guess what happens on a production line? Same kind of stuff. Yeah. It's going on all the time. Right. Well, the mentality of American production workers before Deming finally got our attention 
was you, you got to correct everything. Oops. Well, sometimes you're overcorrecting. I mean, you're correcting something. You, you correct it this way this time, but next time it's going to be this way. Wait a minute. You're making a big mess. Right. And so you get all this wide variability in your product, in products. You got to let things alone. And then you control for those certain kinds. Now, there are some things you can control for and where you can control for. So anyway, we teach those principles about variability. And you can take a, a guy on the production line that has an eighth grade education, these principles, and they can do them. Mm-hmm. You say, you teach statistics? Yeah, well, I don't call it statistics. That frightens people. Yeah. Just call it, these are like X bar R charts and some yeah. of these simple things. We could teach those kinds of principles. And I love teaching that because I worked with a lot. I can go out into industry. In fact, I was the vice president of workforce development, continuing education. Wow. And I love going out to a plant and saying, you know, would you, have you got any problems? Yeah, we got some problems. Well, okay, let's talk about it. We talk about it. How would you like to fix some of those? Well, it won't cost you hardly anything. In fact, I tell you what, if you got an engineer that you think can really teach those employees out there how to, do these kinds of things. I'll hire him and pay him state money. You can do that? Yeah, legally. It's part of your tax benefits. Mm-hmm. So I had fun doing that, helping industry. Right. And it was based on these principles that Deming had introduced us to. So right. anyway, I'm a advocate of uh, using good scientific principles yeah. in uh, production environments to make life better for everybody. Yeah, that's great. So it's simple. And you're you're completely done with teaching now. You're. Well, I teach uh, my church. I, yeah, I your Sunday school. I love. I, I research biblical issues all the time. I love it. I love that. Do you? Um, does it scratch the? I mean, obviously it's a Bible, and you love you love the Lord. But does it as a teacher? Does it still scratch that itch where you like you really feel like you like you? I go on a campus. I get this warm fuzzy feeling like. In fact, we were living in Pensacola, and the University of West Florida was, they were having a festival or something, so we went over and we went around, had this booth over there, and it was their, their uh, education program. And I thought, hmm, my doctorate's in education. I said, hey guys, do you ever hire any adjuncts, any part time uh, instructors just to work with doctoral students? I mean, you know, like mentoring a doctoral student, kind of helping them get through their dissertation. Oh, yeah. I said, we'd love to hire guys. You call me? I said, well, I might not know. Yeah, man. Come here. Here's. Oh, nah, forget it. Forget it. <laughs> that's, that's foolish of me. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I said, tie me down. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be here and take care of a student. No, nah, I don't want to do it. But yeah, once in a while, my wife laughs. She, she says, why do you go ask those questions about? I like Columbia State. I go over there a couple of times. I used to, when I was working, I mean, we have board meetings at all these schools, and so I've been on all the campuses. Yeah. Uh, you were vice president mm-hmm. at, what was the school? Southwest Tennessee Community College. I went to work for 20 years. I worked for about 20 years, well, actually about uh, 18 years. Worked for State Tech Institute at Memphis. It's mm-hmm. kind of like Nashville State Tech. Okay. It's two-year technical college, a border regent school, and but all of ours were all engineering technologies. Mm-hmm. I mean, we taught computer engineering, electrical engineering, uh, chemical engineering, all, all the engineering 
technologies, not right. engineering, but the technologies, and these are people who work under engineers. Right. But anyway, so we, I did that, and then the board here in Nashville, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with public higher education in Tennessee, but there are two systems in <laughs> Tennessee. One is the University of Tennessee system, right. and the other is called the Tennessee Board of Regents system. The huh. Tennessee Board of Regents has all of the colleges, all the public colleges, under them that are not University of Tennessee. Okay. Uh, Middle Tennessee State yeah. is the Board of Regents School. Interesting. Uh, Tennessee State University is a Board of Regents yeah. School. In Cookville, the Tennessee Tech is a Board of Regents. East Tennessee State. Okay. Memphis State or University of Memphis. Uh, all those are, all the two-year schools yeah. were under the Board of Regents. Okay. And all of the, what used to be technology centers, all of those now have become technical colleges. I don't oh. know if you notice that now. But anyway, so I worked under that system and in a specific school. And when we consolidated with Shelby State Community College and State Technical Institute, the board decided, why don't we got two here in Memphis? Let's put them together and make one. Right. So that's what happened. It's a huge school. We had 11,000 students, which was... I think about the fourth largest school in the state. Yeah. But you got your doctorate from Memphis State. Memphis State. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I had, a, had my undergrad from Auburn, my master's from Pepperdine, uh, uh, doctorate from. But I didn't get my doctorate until after I was working okay. for the college. There's three great schools, though. Yeah, they were good schools. I, I mean, I, yeah, I feel comfortable about where I got my education. So, good schools, reputable. Uh, I I love Auburn. I I still uh, root for us even when we're failing. <laughs> do you we, still do you what do you? Follow I still the, remember punt by my punt. Anyway, go ahead. Do you follow the football program? Oh yeah. Do you? Yeah. I'm, oh, the, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not one of these avid tell you the names of everybody oh, yeah. and all their stats. I enjoy watching it. it. I, I, I can't I, yeah, it. I watch it. That's really what you, I mean. Were you going to say the block punt? You remember the block punt? Is that what oh, you were yeah. saying? <laughs> of course you do. Punt, punt, punt. Anytime an Auburn fan wants to talk about a, a one game, they want to bring that one sure. play up. That's, our, that's, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I mean, I I worked for a guy, though, my president at uh, the college at Southwest. He was, he had worked for Barry. Mm -hmm. And he when he was at the University of Alabama, he was... Bears go-to guy for students who were struggling, particularly black students. He was a black guy. Yeah. Uh, Nate Essex, brilliant man. Anyway, he ended up as my president, and uh, he ended up. I was his traveling partner. He he had a provost who was a uh, African American uh, female, single, beautiful woman, mm -hmm. and he called me into his office not long after we had consolidated. He called me. He said, "Now, Jim," he said, "Let me tell you." He said, you and I are both from the South, right? I said, yes, sir. He said, I'm going to talk to you just like two Southern boys. Now, this is a black man present, brilliant guy. Good Christian man, too, by the way. He says, well, let me tell you how it's going to be. He said, you know that if me and Andrea, who was his provost, make a trip anywhere in the state, even though it would be an official business trip, we get back to the campus, we will both have slept with one another, we'd probably have some babies. Right. It wouldn't be true. Right. He said, but guess what? Reputations have been ruined. 
her saying no. Yeah. Said, that's not going to happen. Right. He said, you're my traveling partner. You have any problems with that? I said, no, sir. As long as we don't have any babies. He said, <laughs> he said, he said you're a white boy. I'm a black boy. He said, nobody's going to worry about us. Yeah. We'll as, be okay. As long as we're not married when we get back. <laughs> that's right. He said, we can travel together. Nobody will give us any hassle. So anyway, I became, and it was great for me. Because I got to do a lot. He didn't like to mix and mingle. Yeah. I enjoy it. You know, I got to meet Nelson Mandela. Did you really? I did. Now, I did that for him. He was the one invited, of course, to go to the Civil Rights Museum when he was receiving Civil How Rights Award. So my wife and I, we went and sat at his table and got to meet my goodness. the man. So I, I mean, you know, I had great, uh, had great... There's an award named after me at the college still there, even though he's retired now, and I imagine sooner or later <laughs> change the name of the award. But it's called the Jim Willis Spirit Award. Wow. And the reason they call it that is because they said, you never meet a stranger. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> said, and I do, I value everybody. I don't care the guy who cleans the toilets. He's important. Yeah. He's a human being. We need him to clean the toilets. We need him to clean the toilets, yeah. yeah. He calls the trash off. Yeah, he's important. Cuts the grass. So, yeah. Oh, that. he happens to be the dean. Oh, yeah, he's important, too. Yeah. yeah. The guy who teaches you French, he's important. You know, you would be a great politician. <laughs> no, nah, I'd, I'd be too truthful. Um, can't be, you can't be real truthful and be a good politician. Yeah, that's true. You have six kids. Yeah, together. I had three boys, and my wife had a boy and two girls, and we bring them all together as one great family. And then you have 17? 17 grandchildren and uh, three great-grandchildren and two on the way, a, one during October and one during March. Amazing. So my question is, life lessons as a father. We stay broke. You stay broke. Yeah, stay broke. <laughs> you learn to be poor. We, we and poor. be okay with it. But we're rich in uh, family and we're rich in love. I tell you, that's really what counts. I, I mean, we're, we're not. We're frugal to some extent, but... We're comfortable. I mean, we, you know, we have a nice home. We've got the amenities of a nice home. Uh, but we give to the Lord. Uh, we, we think the Lord gets first crack, and then our family second, and then us third. Mm-hmm. That's where we get That's great. My wife and I, we've had some great experiences in our life, um, and traveling, and then our kids, and we have a fantastic marriage. But, um, and, but we, we kind of live that way, too. It's just it's very frugal. Not an expensive life, but we have... Happiness you know, isn't based on stuff. I know. I've actually... And it's funny, because, you know, when you start out, you think... you got to have this, got that can't wait to have that car, and I'll be... Re- and then the older you get, you, you, like, I... At least for me, I've become very... Um, I enjoy simplicity. Like, oh, yeah. I love reading. We rarely... The TV never gets turned on. Yeah, we don't like... And we got nice televisions throughout the house. Yeah. We spend time with it. I don't know, it's just... It, News and sports are the two things. I like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you, What do you think as one who has so many children in his life? What do, What do you think has been one of the most valuable lessons you've learned in being a dad? Oh wow! First of all, as a parent, you're not buddies. You're a parent, mm-hmm. and you have a responsibility, uh, and that is to nurture them bring them up to love the Lord. And uh, we've attempted to do that. And we're blessed. All of our children are churched. They're, 
Uh, they don't all necessarily follow the same faith lines. We, we've allowed for that variability in our, uh, you know, I want you to read God's Word, and I want you to understand and practice it as you understand it and practice it the mm -hmm. best you can. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we, we, we've got children that uh, uh, are, I tell people, we've got a big family, and none of them have ever been in jail. Knock on wood. <laughs> but I say that, that I know that uh, it's tough for young folks today because compared to when I was young, because children are exposed to stuff today as youth that I didn't even know about until I was an adult. I right, mean, that's I mean true. there's things that, why do they know that? Well, because it's on these things, it's out there in the public. I mean, People are so open about stuff that should be retained for behind the closed doors exactly. conversations, and they're not. And, and I can't control that, but I can prepare my family for that. So, yeah. we, I mean, we talk to our children, and but we let our children know that they are loved and respected, but they have to be obedient. Mm -hmm. they're, they're rules, and they have to live by those. Yeah. And so we. Uh, have been blessed to have children that have grown up thinking that way and pretty much practicing their lives that way. None of us perfect. Uh, boy, I, I could go back. I tell my one of my sons, I, tell, I said, well, you're such a great dad uh, compared to me. Dad, don't say that. He'll say. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, don't get upset. He said, no, you were great. Dad. Said, no, not, not like you are, buddy. You're a whole lot better. Dad, I don't want you to say that. And he gets... <laughs> but he is. He's a great dad. Yeah. He's, and I'm glad he is. I'm glad he's better dad than I was. Because yeah. I hope he learned. I hope he learned something quicker than I did. I, 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 nobody gave me an instruction book, you know. I said this is how you do it. And I wish there was that. The book is the Bible, <laughs> and in it, you still got a lot of interpreting. I know. You know? He said, "I got to figure out one thing, but should I do this or But." Uh, We've been blessed. Uh, good families, great kids. We uh, take pride in our families. Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of Irish in me. Uh, Willis Clan, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Mm -hmm. oh, good music, you ought to look them up some. Really, okay. Yeah, Willis Clan. They, they sing some pretty good music. They're from this area. Uh, you ever go to Columbia? Every once in a while. You ever cross the bridge called the Harlem Willis? Uh-huh. Okay, that's wrong. That's right, you told me that. Yeah. Distant road. He was killed, you know, and, and war and honored as such. But anyway, that's, you know, those are, are people we, we pride in. My, uh, uh, my wife's first husband was uh, from a family of Mer the Merriweather, Lewis Merriweather. We didn't know who those mm -hmm. were, I suppose. So all three of the kids have the name Merriweather in their name. And, you know, it has an unusual spelling. Wow. So we take pride in their history. Absolutely. In fact, the first woman ever to vote in Tennessee was a Meriwether. And uh, she is, she's recorded in a book about Perfect 36. The Perfect 36 is a book written by a local, local being Tennessee, historian, a woman, female, who wrote about females and their contribution to the state of Tennessee's history. Mm. And the story about, I guess you know, the Suffragette, the last state to ratify was Tennessee. Mm -hmm. 
it was the 36th state, had 48 states then. And so the 36th state, then it became law. Yeah. Women could vote. Well, uh, Miss Merriweather, who was a great, 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 something like that, grandmother of my wife's three children, uh, she was the wife of a federal judge. And oh, wow. Living in Shelby County, yeah. Tennessee, Memphis area. She said on one occasion uh, during the suffrage movement that the next general election in Shelby County, she was going to vote and you may arrest me and put me in jail and I'll be glad to spend time with Susan B. Susan B was in Boston. Susan wow. B. Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> she was the big suffrage movement head in those days. So, well, next general election came around. She went to the polls and she voted and nobody even touched her. Nobody made an issue. Wow. The, the, the uh, let's see, was it a press? Anyway, one of the newspapers in Memphis at that time had an article about it. Well, anyway, this, I heard this historian, this woman, doing a presentation. I was at a lecture where she was doing a presentation on this book. And she talked about it and she was mentioning some things. So I bought the book and I got the book and started looking through it and I found this woman, Meriwether. I bet that's the kid's girl. So I brought the book to her and she said, yeah, that's the kid's. How fun. Great, 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 whatever. So I bought all the kids a copy of that book. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so that was a good that idea. Put in your library. <laughs> good. There's your, there's your, so we take pride in ham, family and we don't tell the stories like my Uncle J.G., who's the thief. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The last time I saw my Uncle J.G., he was in a dump truck. He pulls up the side of the house. My grandmother, he comes in, speaks to my grandmother. So anyway, when he leaves, my grandmother says, now, that is your uncle, but you probably don't want to hang around. <laughs> he said, because he had said when he came in, he's when she asked me what are you doing, he said, oh, I've been down stealing some clay from the local clay pit, the county clay pit. I'm going to sell it to some people. And so when he left, she said, and he probably told the truth about that. Oh, he probably goodness. really was. She said, so I just said, you not get to know him too well. So we, we forget those members of our family. We only accentuate those. We all those. have those. That's right. We accentuate those who are the ones that we think were. Wow. Let, let me um, uh, let me ask you about faith. Um, sure. When when do you feel most alive? Like when do you feel like it's a good moment? Right now. Oh. Oh, I mean, I life is good. I mm -hmm. I wake up in the morning with a prayer, uh, Thanksgiving, and mm -hmm. uh, when I walk, I like to pray. I I am always reminded of how. Thankful I am that God, you love us mm. so much. You gave us your son. Come on, I'm a rascal. What are you doing that for? I didn't deserve any of that, but I'm so thankful that you did because you give me hope. But I'm thankful for that. So that's my primary thanks. Then I'm always thankful for my family. Wow. I mean, I got a great wife, got a great bunch of youngins, grand youngins, great grandkids. I mean, you know, I'm just I'm grateful for the circle of friends that I have. I mean, people that I get to know, like people like you, Chris. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I value knowing people and learning a little bit about them. I don't have to know all the details of their life. I just, uh, Roger down here and, and Richard across the street, they're both good Catholics. 
and I'm not a Catholic faith, but I respect them. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I celebrate with the fact that they at least practice Christianity. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, I walk with Ken, uh, you know, the guy who saw me walking right. here this morning. Ken, it's funny, his son dates a woman that is a waitress. She's a waitress at Hempack. And this waitress at Hempack, every Tuesday morning, we have a men's group that gets together. We have a little devotional. And she serves us every morning. And he was trying to remember his son's girlfriend's name. He said, oh, yeah, she, she works at Hempack. I said, is her name KK? He said, yeah, that's it. I said, yeah, I know KK. So of course it's, funny, it's funny how we have these connections when you get to know people that you can have great conversations about people. Yeah. That's what life's about. So, I don't know. Life is you know, a thing to celebrate. I don't, I'm not going to have it for long. I mean, you know, I don't know. If I live another two years, ten years, hundred years, whatever, it wouldn't matter. It's still just a sick thing you're gone. So, yeah. uh, I'm grateful for the, just the privilege to live. I love that little sign we had out here a while back. It said, "Be the one that someone's for whom someone smiles today, or something, mm-hmm. something yeah. to that effect." As you're going out, yeah, and, as yeah. you're going out, we got a little marquee there. Yeah. Right? I thought that's good. We need to have just enough misery in the world. Uh, we'll add to it. Let's don't add to that. Yeah. yeah, let's try to add to the happy side of life. So I'm a I'm a eternal optimist, I guess. I Try to find the good things to celebrate. I'm going through a lawsuit right now, by the way. Big yeah. suit. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's unfortunately, it was a piece of property we sold in Arkansas. And it was on a lake. And contour lines are very complex issues with uh, lakes that have dams. It's, uh, you know, the, the uh, Energy Corporation owns the lake. Right. And so, obviously, the boat dock that I owned and sold to them wasn't on my property is on energy oh and so well i mean that's just the way it is and so they got a bill of sale for and it's permitted by it. then it has a contour line that's to say how much of the land is really yours and how much of it still belongs to you so anyway it's over it's disputed well i mean it doesn't matter they're suing not just me they're suing the real estate company they're suing the realtors they're suing the cattle company Good grief. So, I you know, it's one of those, and it's already cost me, I don't know, I think we spent 8000 bucks or something like that for attorney fees already. But you know what? No, really, it's, I, I don't, I don't moan over that. Yeah. I, I regret and I hate that they have that. I wish they had picked up the phone if they could get in touch and say, hey, you know what? I don't think my property is blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, well, let's sit down and talk about it. Let's figure it out. Could have saved them headaches, me headaches, a lot of money. But anyway, that's life. So you go through trials, and sometimes trials are good. Mm-hmm. They, they make you appreciate life better. Make you appreciate what what you do have to be thankful for. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know how this will turn out. Once it gets into the courts, I don't know how familiar you are with civil court. But in criminal courts, the defendant is innocent until proven guilty. In civil courts, the defendant is guilty until he can prove himself innocent. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. So if you ever sued, the plaintiff is always 
the judge has to take the role that the plaintiff is telling the truth right. and that their position is right until you prove otherwise. Wow. So, so you're yeah. a guilty man. Yeah. <laughs> Hang me up. But, uh, I mean, we'll get through it. Yeah. Sooner or later. We just don't know how much poorer we'll be. <laughs> but we'll survive. Yeah. So, life is, when is it? When, when am I? Yeah, I've, I've avoided your question because I don't know how to answer it other than that. I like your answer I that you're an eternal day. optimist. Yeah, I love every day. Yeah. I, I love every moment. That, I mean, our wife and I, we face, you know, illnesses. I mean, I get sick. I, I fell out of the shower every morning. Did I, you really? I was scared of death. Scared me coming crazy. I could have, you know, hit my head on the floor, broke me in the <laughs> I just fell, and I'm old, I'm clumsy, <laughs> and I know that, so I have to purposely make motions with uh, planned movements, not just, I, I can't just jump around. Right, anymore. right. So, and I was being careless, I'm sure. <laughs> but fortunately, I... You're I, singing too loud in the shower? I guess. <laughs> Tell me, uh, you know... What you're, what God's teaching you today? What are you? How are you growing? Like, what are you learning right now? What's been? I'm saying, fruit of the spirit. Boy, mm-hmm. I love it. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are things that I believe in the indwelling spirit. I, I think that uh, I think the gift of the spirit is the spirit, not gifts. Mm-hmm. The gifts of the spirits that the early some of the early disciples had were those things given to help solidify that Jesus was Christ. Right. And uh, that was in the foundation years of the church. But uh, I believe in the gift of the Spirit is, is I, I have the Spirit of Christ within me and that comes with that is the fruit. Mm-hmm. And that it's responsible. Just like any fruit, God nurture it. God, God help it develop and grow. It doesn't just, it's not mature unless, I mean. It's like a garden. It's like a garden. I mean, mm-hmm. you gotta develop. So I'm loving the, instead of that, I've, I've been uh, doing a lot of analysis of, you know, how's the words used. Like, I'm, I'm going back to the Greek, the, the Greek language to look at how the writers, what words they use. And of course, love is, uh, we know in the, New Testament, there are two forms of that word, that, although there were at least four different Greek words that could be translated love in the English language. The two in the New Testament is agape and phileo. And agape is, that's what God is. God is agape. God's the unselfish love. It's the highest form of that. And phileo is brotherly love. And one of the interesting stories is whenever Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Peter says, sure I love you. You know I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you. Really make that interesting though when you look at it in the original language. Jesus was asking, do you love me using the word agape? And Peter was responding, yeah, I love you. using the word phileo. Like a brother, like Philadelphia. Brother, city brother. And finally, on the third time, whenever Jesus asked him, he just asked him, do, 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 you, do, you, do you like me, Peter? Oh, man, that got off. He said, 
you discover what I'm saying to you. Yeah, oh, that's embarrassing, I'm sure, you know. But that's Peter. That's interesting. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Go feed machine. I mean, we we make great lessons out of that. But it's those kinds of studies that I love doing. Yeah. I love looking at, uh, you know, why why do I partake of bread? I mean, eating Jesus. Mm. But where does that come from? Well, it goes back to the sacrificial lambs and the old law. But anyway. Those are kinds of things I love doing and I love to dig in. And Then after I do my own analysis in my own brain, <laughs> feeble as it is, I like to look at what some other writers think about that. So I like to dig to the commentaries last because commentaries are that, you know, right. people's comments. Yeah. Sometimes I agree with them, sometimes I don't. Yeah. I like what A.W. Tozer said about the spirit though. He said today, in the church today, if you quit talking about the Holy Spirit, 95% of what we do in the church will just keep on going, nobody will ever know the difference. Wow, yeah. But during the first century, if you quit talking about the Holy Spirit, 95% of what was going on in the church would be done away with. Stop, yeah. Wow. Why? Things have changed, haven't they? Mm. So where's our emphasis? You know, we believe in the Trinity, or at least most do, I think most Christians accept God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we understand God the Father, we understand God the Son, but I think we really struggle with God the Spirit. What? Is it kind of a force? Well, you know, it's a personality. Yeah. It's a personality just as much as Son and Father. But anyway, I, I love studying uh, God's Word, and I learn something every day. And it surprises me about it. I thought I understood that. No, nope, I guess I didn't. I ask everybody this um, just because I feel like a layman's terms sort of uh, answer to this uh, is probably better than a, uh, a preacher's terms because everybody's heard what the preacher has to say. But for a man who's gone to combat and war, who has six kids and 17 grandchildren, and who's lived life, who's had heart attacks and survived them, and, you know... Um, when you think about faith, you talk about Christianity, mm-hmm. for someone who's listening who's either confused and struggling with it or um, someone who is look, you know, is looking at Christians going like they're just a bunch of whack jobs, what is your, how can you say, what, what is your definition of what, it, what Christianity is? And I know it's not complicated. It's not a complicated answer, really, if we were to, you know, but I'm just curious, like, what would you tell somebody? I would start with uh, where it begins. In the beginning. Who? God. That's what the Bible says. I believe that. Genesis 1-1. And in the beginning, all those of the Godhead were there in the formation of the earth. I know that because John tells me that later on. The Word became flesh. That that was the Word. Anyway, Christianity is understanding, I think, the basics of creation. I mean, look about who declares, I mean, there's clouds in the sky, there's grass on the ground, there's trees in the field, there's little animals running around, there's a human being here with all these parts. And one of the best object lessons that I would ever give a person is, I would say, do what an old country preacher did for me as a child. He showed me a beautiful 
masterpiece of a pocket watch that was carried by his great-grandfather on the railroads. Ticking beautifully, keeping precise time. And he showed me, let me handle it and let me see it. And the next day, when I see him, he has a paper sack. And he opens a paper sack and he says, what do you see? See, I see a lot of Looks like watch parts. He said, that watch you held yesterday? Yep, that's it. Wow, you take it all apart? Yep. He twists the gun at the top and he starts to shake it. So what are you doing? So I'm going to put that watch back together. He said, if I shake it long enough, I'll get this watch all back together precisely like you saw it. It'll work just as well. And by the way, if you can accept that, you probably can accept evolution. <laughs> think about it. Yeah. I think that God's the master of it all. Yeah. He put it all in place. He had a plan. His plan was to allow man to live in this beautiful place. Man couldn't live in there. He just couldn't make it. Mm. So he had to get out by the sweat of his brow and by pains of birth, had to bring about families and children. And he said, okay, I'm gonna give you a chance here. We're gonna give you some written rules here. See if you can live by them. Nope, couldn't even do that. Mm -hmm. Finally had to put into place his final, final desperate effort. He said, okay, I gotta give you the sacrifice of my own son. That's the only way that you'll ever have hope. He's going to go there. He's going to be your advocate because he's going to learn what it's all about mm -hmm. as a human being. What is it <clears throat> that you guys can't get in your brain up here? Obey me. That's all I'm asking you to do. There's rules. Yeah, I want you to obey me. So Christianity is to believe that. Believe that that Son of God came to this earth, born of a Virgin Mary, grew up from infancy through youth, through childhood, through adulthood, and then we beat him. It's hard for me to tell that story. Mm -hmm. Have you seen The Passion of the Christ? Yeah. I've only seen it once. I don't know that. We've, we've owned it, but I don't know that I can watch it. Tough again. story. It is. We killed him. Yeah. You believe that? You got hope. Mm. I love that. If you don't, I don't know. That's between you and God. Yeah. I, I can't tell you I'm not your judge God's your judge I have a book that tells me what I need to do and I try to understand it best I can I'm probably screwing it up yeah. but you know we, we that's what's uh, so great about grace oh yeah <laughs> boy without it we have no hope <laughs> and I tell you what yes it is absolutely by grace it's a good answer Anyway, that's that's how I think of Christianity. Um, you know, you're I for someone who's any man that has their doctorate um, communicates to me that they're a disciplined person. Hmm. Uh, whether you believe that or not yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, dissertations are tough. You're pleasing our committee. Ooh, you ever try to do that? No, I. You um, write a paragraph and I don't like it. You change. Why did you change it? Anyway. It's, it's a long <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, our successes 
uh, or lack thereof are related to a lot of times the power of our habits. Yeah. And so, um, I'm curious as to over time, what are some healthy habits that you've created in your day to day life that have helped you, and then also some unhealthy habits that you've had to cut out? Mm-hmm. Well, let me start with the unhealthy. Uh, I smoked. Mm-hmm. I smoked those terrible things called cigarettes. And then, uh, some over 30 years ago, when I was going to have my first grandchild, I thought about it. Uh, it was on a Thanksgiving day, before this child was born in February, I was in my bathroom in my home. I had seven cigarettes in a pack and I started to take one and I thought, nope, not gonna do that. Set them on a little table. Well, I got a grandchild coming along. You know, children are honest. They're truthful. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't pull punches. They don't try to make it nice. They just tell it like it is. And that child, because I'll be the only person in that child's life that smokes. Grandmothers, none of the grandmothers, the other grandfather, parents, none of the uncles, none of the aunts, nobody, nobody but me. And this child will crawl in my lap one day and say, Pew, we, Grandpa, mm. you stink. And it'd be truthful. Yeah. I knew that. So I took down. That's Thanksgiving Day. On Saturday, I'm sitting in the den watching football, you know, it's great football, <laughs> watching the games. My wife says, I've seen you smoke today. In fact, I don't remember you smoking. Don't you say another word? Boy, I was right on the I've got a pack of cigarettes in my bathroom, seven cigarettes in there. If I want them, I'll go get them. You leave them alone. That was evil. A year later, that pack of cigarettes is still sitting there. Wow. Of course, they were stale. But they were my crutch. I'd tell myself, okay, fool. After a week, after a month, after three months, after six months, go get you one. You just got to have one. I craved them, but I said, no, nope, I'm going to do it. So I quit cold turkey. Man, that's great. So for that, I'm grateful. And uh, in fact, years later, I was telling one of my physicians something about that. He said, I hope you hugged that little girl. I told him, little girl that was born. Hope you hugged that little girl and thanked her for saving your life. Not kidding. Oh, yeah. But anyway, that was a bad habit I broke. Uh, Good habits? One thing, I'm a daily Bible reader. Uh, That's a habit of sorts. I mean, you get yourself into a groove, you find a place and a time and a place. Uh, I I pray regularly throughout the day. We we never have a meal but what we are thankful for because we know it's only by God's blessings that we have food to eat. That's nourishment that we have to have to sustain our bodies. But so we're grateful for what we have, and uh, even though it may be simple or it may be um, a, a, a wonderful spread, whatever, we're grateful for. It. And uh, that's habit of sorts. And we teach our children that be thankful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe in being respectful. I believe in I believe in being a person that says thank you. I appreciate that. It's a good habit. You know, don't don't just take thanks for granted. If somebody opens the door for you, be grateful for that. Say thanks. Mm-hmm. You know, I can open that door. I've heard people say that. I can do that. Well, okay, I know you could, but I just don't know. Well, can't you just say thanks? <laughs> <laughs> Simple. <laughs> so, uh, I, I love to smile. Uh, I know that 
I have, I have a nasal voice. I know that. And the reason I know that is because I was told that a long time ago by an instructor when I was going through instructor training for the military. Tell me, Mr. Willis, or Sergeant Willis, I guess. Sergeant Willis, you would have finished number one in your class but for your nasal voice. You need to get that fixed. And well, Mr. Ramsey, and I remember his name well, Mr. Ramsey, I said, no disrespect, sir, but you know, I've been speaking like this like I was 25 years old or something like that. For as long as I can remember, nah, I'm not going to give you a chance. <laughs> I'm sorry you have to listen to me. It don't bother me. <laughs> it's those other people. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I kind of feel sorry for people having to listen to my native voice. I'm like, eh, that's my voice. That's so. funny. <laughs> wow. I, uh, I'll never be accused of being a great singer. Uh, so my habit is to sing anyway. <laughs> I'll make a joyful noise to the Lord. Uh, I love to sing. Uh, I, I, you're talking about singing in China. I do that sometimes. I sing with her. <laughs> I'm sure it bores some people. That's great. Those are some of the simple things, I guess. Habits and that I've broken. I've, I've broken other habits. I've broke, broken the habit of uh, thinking I had to watch uh, every Auburn football game. I don't have to watch every Auburn football game. Tell me, um, we. What's the best advice you think you've ever been given that you can recall? Because I'm sure you've been given a lot throughout your life. Uh, yeah, the best. That, that's the tough part. Is I've had so many good uh, advices in life. But maybe one of the best uh, was given to me by my grandmother when I was a youngster. And I didn't even understand it. In fact, I struggled for years. I tried to say what is this? How, why do you achieve this? She would say, you should always attempt to have peace of mind. She'd say that mm -hmm. several times. She'd tell my brother and I both, life is important and it's rough and it's tough and you'll have good days and you'll have bad days, you'll have struggles, you'll have challenges, blah, blah, blah. She'd give us, but she'd always say, find peace of mind. Now, she would often lecture us on various and sundry things, like we were expected to read the Bible every day, we were expected to pray, and so some of the things, the habits I've done, came from her, her expectations of our behavior. But I think her talking about peace of mind, because it took me a long time trying to figure out what it's all about. Peace of mind is confidence that you're in the safe arms of Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's peace of mind. Yeah. To me, there's no peace of mind. I mean, there's nobody can hurt me. There really isn't. I mean, you punch me in the eye, and the pain it will be there, obviously. But you can't destroy my soul. Yeah. No. I, I think that peace is the kind of peace she expected us to find. And mm -hmm. I think I found it. Yeah. And I'm comfortable with it. I think you have too. Yeah, I'm very comfortable with my peace of mind. That's good advice. Or the best advice? <laughs> well, for me, it was maybe the best. I mean, there are other things I was advised on in life that I can talk about. But yeah, I guess if I had to pick a single advice, it would be that. Uh, mentors. Did you have any mentors in your life? Oh, yeah. Ninth grade. I took first year algebra. Had a great teacher. 
Straight A's. First semester. First half year. She had the audacity to get pregnant by her husband and decide she's not coming back the second half year. What? <laughs> so we got first one, second, third, fourth. We had substitute teach, substitute teach, substitute. My grade went down to passed it, passed the course, got my credit. That's the end of the album. I'm not doing it anymore. Got a brand new teacher hired at the end of the year to replace our algebra teacher. Her name was Collie, Miss Collie. Obviously, in the, and in the ninth grade, you had to sign up for your courses for the tenth grade if you were coming back to school there the next year. And obviously, not too many of us signed up for second year algebra. I didn't. Mm-hmm. Oh, have to have it. Okay. So I don't know what Miss Collie said to all the other kids, but I know what she said to me. She called me into her office. She said, "Now." James, that was my name, so you'll hear me use that in reference to myself. James, she says, I noticed you didn't sign up. Wouldn't you please sign up? I think you're, you're too good. You, you, you're a good student. No, ma'am, I don't want to tell you. Well, would you give me a chance? Would you give me at least two weeks? And after two weeks, if you don't like it, if you still don't want to do second year algebra, I'll get you in a study hall. It won't hurt you at all. Well, that, would that be a fair bargain? Well, I, mean, I was a reasonable kid, I think. I said, well, okay, we'll try. I mean, I think after the third day, I was in love with her and her teaching <laughs> and algebra. She has brightened my life. Yeah. Was she a mentor? You betcha. She yeah. had taught me to appreciate what I knew I liked. I had loved math before. I had this terrible experience. And it was all about the experience. Oh, wow. Well. And so she was she almost had, like a psychologist. She, well, <laughs> she was my savior on pursuing the maths and the sciences, which I loved. And so years wow. later, I went back and found her. She was no longer at my high school. She had moved on to the local two-year college, and she'd gotten her doctorate, and she was teaching. So I had to call, make an appointment to go see her, and I did. And I went in, and I, I said, Dr. Collier, I probably won't remember. I, mean, I don't think she really did. I mean, I think she, you know, she said, well, you were in my class. She said, I remember we had had a little trouble getting the students going that first year. So I said, well, I'm one of those. And I just want to tell you how much I appreciate mm. what you did for me. I said, you changed my whole attitude about what I knew I, in my heart, I knew I loved, but wasn't willing to fool with anymore because of my bad experience. She said, well, I'm glad you did that. I said, well, I'm glad you were the one that helped me do that. Yeah. Thanks wow. a bunch. So and I think she appreciated somebody. I know she a student coming back and telling her thanks. But, yeah, she made the difference. Because as the years went by, then when I went to the Marine Corps, for example, I went through uh, this technical course, and I finished top of the class. Well, that stuff was easy. I had learned it well mm-hmm. from having taken all the courses in high school. I'd taken as much math and physics and sciences and chemistry and all that that you could take in right. high school. And that's really my brother was so disappointed that I had dropped out of college. Oh, you was going to be a scientist. I said, no, I was going to be a doofus. <laughs> and plus the guy was a really good recruit. <laughs> you didn't see that recruiter, did you? <laughs> he was good. I love that. Um, in the end, uh, you know, um, I mean, I feel like you're a guy that would say, in the end, you would want your life 
to be remembered by people remembering Jesus Christ. But but is there anything in particular, like you know, any, anything about you, your, your, but you know, Christ is the obvious. But anything about your life that you want people to remember you for? Uh, I want people to know I love people. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I, I love the idea of joy, where it's Jesus, others, and yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stop it there. I think you get the drift. Jim is a is a caring, loving, thoughtful, responsible, hardworking, fun-loving gentleman. I don't I don't know what else to say. It sounds very you know uh, obvious or simple. And what's you know you might even say in this day and age where everybody's trying to one up one another. What's so special about that? And I think it's just simple. It's the simple things. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way towards Jim, but the simple things to me have become so attractive. Uh, We're in a world where there's so many opinions and everybody's got a philosophy on this and that. And just someone who is, you know, just simply as polite to people. They're not trying to start a nonprofit. They're not trying to create some big movement. They're just kind to people in their neighborhood, and they work hard at their jobs, and they're accomplished, but they don't wear it on their sleeve or try to uh, make it a big social media uh, post so that they can look bigger than what they are. It's just someone who's doing his duty as a husband, as a father, as a soldier, as a friend, as a minister in the church. X, Y, Z, apply it to yourself. Just Focus on doing the little things well, because I think we find, uh, or at least I'm beginning to discover, I have discovered, and I continue have, continually have to learn that, because I do get sucked into the big social media thing and trying to, you know, find your place in this world, but uh, the little things really are the big things in the end. It's the sum of the little things that make our lives stand out, and I don't think it's that we need to take on the spirit of trying to make ourselves stand out. I just think that we we are polite to people. And, you know, uh, Jim said he wants to be known uh, for loving people and having joy in his life. And, man, we could just—it <laughs> sounds so very plain, but we could just use that. Just, just love people. Don't love people in the sense that you're trying to make— much of yourself, but just be kind to people, people you see in the grocery store, people that you go, you know, that you work with, people that, you know, if you're running or you're riding your bike in your neighborhood, who cares that you're wearing your spandex pants and that you may be a little more fit, still be polite and say hello to people, you know, I mean, it's, it, I think the little things go so far, uh, if you're on Facebook, I try to do this, I don't, I'm not always consistent with it, but I go and wish everybody a happy birthday every day, on Facebook. Uh, at least I've been doing that a lot more lately because I just think that people, you know, they want to feel like they mattered. And if I'm the only one that sent them a happy birthday on Facebook, then well, at least they got a happy birthday from somebody, right? And they may be feeling pretty lonely. You just never know where anybody's at. And I think we need more gems in the world. Uh, J-I-M-S and uh, G-E-M-S as well. So, uh, hey, listen, God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. I hope that this somehow, some way moved you, touched your life, inspired you uh, to make the most of the time that we have on this earth, the short time we have on this earth. 
So, uh, so thanks for listening in. I do appreciate it. It's good to be back, and I will catch you on the next episode of the Chris Lockwood Podcast. <laughs>